0: You're listening to the Spruce and Brews Podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things will Hello, one and all. This is episode 176 of the Spruce and Brews Podcast. My name is David. I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Ooh. Hello. So we, uh, we're we recording this podcast what 24 hours after taking part in uh, what feels like our first Warhammer tournament for for some time actually yeah it's uh
1: it's been it's been it's been fun hasn't it
0: yeah it was really good um so later on in the show we're actually going to be talking about how we got on uh, in said tournament all um four of us were, were were involved we all took armies along each had different success rates <laughs> which we'll, we'll talk about later on, um, but yeah, it was it was a really really fun day. Again, hosted by those purple sparkly unicorns of which our very own Andy is part of.
2: Because yeah. we, we have to, share you, Andy. Yeah, I I, I get a lot of sh- stick from uh, the other organisers <laughs> for being part of Sprues and Booze, but this is my safe place though. This is the safe
0: place. Well, sort of safe. Excellent. Um. So yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to be talking about just a small codex, which may have landed on the Spruce and Brews desk uh, this last week. Uh, Jay? Yeah, Craftworld. Uh, well, not Craftworld. Codex Hildari.
3: It's mm-hmm. definitely not just a Craftworld codex. Um, yeah, it's been fun for the last
0: two weeks pouring over that. So Jay is going to be taking us through some of the highlights of the book later on in the, sh- in the show, too. Uh, we're also going to be asking each other the question: What are our, what are our top three Forge World models? Now, the, the inspiration behind this week's top three, because it always tends to be a little bit of inspiration, is, is some sad news that Matt revealed last week. That is, is it safe to say one of your favourite Forge World models, Matt, is, is no longer? Uh, it might in be on the
1: list. It might be on the list. But big shout out to anonymous Rex
0: who suggested this week's top three as well. Oh, of course, yes, I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But before we get stuck into all of that, uh, let's talk about what we've been doing in the hobby for the last seven days. Sort of skipping the fact that we've, we've had a tournament, because we're going to be talking about that later on. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to? Well, I've been painting bow Arches still. They take a long time. The, the the metallics are pretty much
1: done. So now I'm on to the painting the cloth and the leather and the skin, of which there's a lot because it's Slaanesh. Because of course <laughs> so um so yes yeah, so that'll be probably another week on them and then really i've only got the five uh slick blade seekers to paint uh zigwald and glutos so we're getting there the slanesh army is almost complete um and then i want to get to paint on some some chaos space Marines as well because uh we know they're on the horizon so i want to try and get 2000 points painted ready for the new codex when it drops because i like to be prepared with and i'll be good to go when the book drops and uh we we had a practice game as well didn't we dave this week
0: we did so on uh what night was it saturday night mm. yeah on saturday night we we gave my new uh my new table ago um i've waited for ages a, a table to game on and i finally have one um so with the tournament in mind you brought along your gene steel Colts. i uh decided on using my necrons for the tournament so um you know, I brought them down from upstairs, and we had a bit of a game. We did. How did how did you get on, Dave? I lost, but
1: only by ten points. It was a close. To be fair, it was a close game. It was a close game. You you were ready to throw
0: in the towel, like turn two. Um, it wasn't looking very good for me. No, um, I, I didn't like, have an this, awful lot. You
1: can still win. There's 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 loads of stuff you can do here.
0: I think I, th- I think if we played more match play, um, I'd have known that. Um, but um. Yeah, I'm going to try and not forget about that uh, going forward.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's I think particularly in the Nackmund uh, tournament book, there's lots of ways of getting points back. You you could you could lose your entire army and still win a game.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was a really fun game. It was it was super close in the end. Lots of movement shenanigans, some failed charges on my part, which is pretty run Standard You wouldn't have course. been a game of forty K Dave if you haven't failed any charges. Absolutely not, no. So um so yeah, it was a really, really good game. Excellent. Uh Andy, what have you been up to in the hobby this week?
2: Um so my list is pretty short and sweet, just like me. Um, <laughs> 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 um it's uh so basically I've just been um doing a bit more reading. Um I did my homework for the event. Uh, Red the Adeptus Custodes codex still forgot a bunch of stuff.
3: Uh, oh, you forgot one of the strongest rules they've got as well. <laughs> I forgot like one of the main rules, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, what was that? It was, it was in a game with me, wasn't it? We were, we were talking, and yeah. um, it was the you, um, uh, Andy had chosen the Emperor's Chosen, is it that the generic shield host for the Adeptus Custodes, um,
2: yeah.
3: but the um. The traits you'd you'd forgotten about the traits that they get, hadn't
2: you? And specifically that four plus feel no pain they get against mortal wounds. Which... Yeah, I got a, I got a bit confused because I thought it was if they were in a particular, um, uh, Marshall Kotal um stance that you know they they got that rule instead of it, but it's not. It was these two rules are, are in effect, and I was just like, oh right, okay. But then you but, used it to great effect in the battle against me, so I wish I'd never told you. Yeah.
0: And to be fair, Andy, against me, I don't think I
2: dealt any mortal wounds to you, so... No, exactly. So, you know, saving grace. Um, but yeah, apart from reading the Codex, I've not really had the the, the motivation to, to do that much painting this week, unfortunately. Um, which I think is the first week in a while that I've actually not done a hobby resolution this week. Oh my goodness. I know. i cancelling well, the podcast. I mean, we're basically in March now, and I've finally not done one. <laughs> so, yeah, I think
0: uh, you deserve a week off, Andy. Yeah, You've done that, really
2: well. That, that's what I'm gonna choose to to take away from this week. It was a nice break, um, to not do too much hobby or, you know, basically any hobby this week, unfortunately. But, yeah, ne- next week, um, I think is gonna. Uh, I'm already starting to feel my hobby motivation come back so yeah hopefully next week i'll have a lot more to talk about excellent
0: i always find that once we've had like um, a game or especially a tournament i'm really fired up to do some
2: hobby yeah well coming away from the the tournament this is like uh, this is my first 40k tournament in when did we go to the escape from pan Oh, i
1: know
3: it
2: wasn't a tournament but it's more of a campaign weekend, but that was November, wasn't it? Um, I think my last event I went to was probably, oh, like March last year sometime. Mm. So it's been a long time since I've actually been to event because most of the events I've been to, I've either been running or helping to run. So mm-hmm. I've not, I've not been playing in them, uh, unfortunately, but yeah, this, this year I'm going to get a lot more events and, and yeah, playing playing the custodies um, and, and playing 40k, I'm a bit more pumped, a bit more fired up for it. Um, I, I'm quite limited to what I have with 40k, but I definitely want to get a lot more done for for 40k. So I think that would probably be like one of my next projects to do something for for 40k. Excellent, that's what I like to hear.
0: Definitely want to see uh, you playing some more 40k, Andy. Um, I've had um, a a very quiet week as well. Uh, I have been doing a little bit more of my Fire worries. I had really hoped to take my tower to this event, but I didn't get them painted as much as I wanted. Um, So I fell back on on the old trusted Necrons. Um, I really enjoy using them, even though my record with them is really dire. (laughs) Um, I I just enjoy using them. Um, And I will have to take up to 2,000 points at some some stage. But apart from that, unfortunately... um, that's it. I've I've, I've done a, a video for the website, which I, I'm going to get edited after after the show. And um, that that's about me for, for the hobby, unfortunately. But I th- I've i got a bit more free time this week. Free time has been a, a bit of a commodity these past couple of weeks. But I've got a few slots um, this week where I hope to get um, some some tag painted because I really want to get a thousand points on ASAP. So we can have some really cool games and get our crusade going as well. Because um, that, that'll be really, really fun. Uh, Jay, what have you been up to? Um yeah so um
3: over the last two weeks really um I've been um reviewing the uh, um craft, uh, keep calling it craftwell the uh, Eldari codex um so there's a post up on Spruz and bruises review that we'll be talking a little bit about that later on um and then um, Games Workshop were kind to send a bunch of Eldar models to us um the new um Eldar guardians the dark reapers Morgan Ra and the warlock um so i've been building these guys um and i've started painting the um elder guardians i've built them as defenders um they're really really nice models so i've got a, a unit of the old guardians that i painted in the Imlock sort of the orange and gray color scheme uh, and i was i wasn't sure how these new guardians would stand up against the old ones so they're almost identical in terms of the the look of them it's just these new models are a lot crisper on the details and um a lot more dynamic in the posing um so they you could quite easily i think mix these new plastic um guardian defenders in with your existing guardian squads mm. um and they would fit in really really nicely obviously they're on the 28 uh, mil bases now um so you would have to rebase your older guardians but i'm really pleased that um they're so similar really in design um and i i'm currently as we as, we, as we're recording I'm, I'm shading all of these sort of they wear like um plates over like a soft sort of undersuit the elder guardians do mm-hmm. and and the plates are so much more defined on these new models like the shades looking really cool around them uh and they look like they'll be much easier to sort of edge highlight um Excellent. so yeah really really it's one of my favorite kits i think that they've sent us these uh, new elder guardians um i built the dark reapers Dark Reapers are really, really smart. So you get like um, lots of different. We've seen already on the Warcom articles, and we've talked about it. Different head options. I've built mine with the traditional sort of X um, aspect, um, helmets helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a variety of different poses you can build with them as well. So I've got one here that's sort of like reloading his Reaper launcher. Um, and the X himself is is awesome with this. I always used to think the X main weapon was a bit goofy looking. Um, but this one it, it scales much better and it just looks really mean it's like triple barrel reaper missile launcher really really cool um and then the phoenix lord himself um who um is just a really really cool centerpiece model oh and yes of course my um warlocks so the warlocks again i'm not sure about the warlocks they are nice models for sure um they're very big they're, they're bigger than the farseer um, and I don't know whether they'll look, look a little bit too big in there. It might be because they've got these like robes on, these these cloaks on that, that sort of pad them out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit, I, I'm not sure whether I'm going to add many of these new plastic ones. I might keep the no. old metal ones, to be fair. Uh, don't get me wrong, they're very, very nice sculpts on their own, but they just seem a bit large. Um, when, once I've got one painted up, I'll, I'll, I'll post a few pictures and see what people think. Um, have, but the, certainly, um, have the warlocks stepped through the room, can? Well, that's the sort of impression I get. I mean, I think I think it, they are standing on like some debris on the, on their bases, which raises them a little bit. And obviously, they've got the plume coming off the top of the helmet. Um, but yeah, they. I, I'm not sure about them. But um, but yeah. So uh, but, but you know that they, they, they they're useful if you've not got any warlocks. I guess already. Are, um, unfortunately, I've been playing Eldar since I was about four, so I've got a <laughs> hundred of them upstairs. <laughs> um yeah so so that's me um also um what arrived today which it it, this this might be the first thing to distract me this year so i've been pretty focused this year on the models that i intended to paint um but then today uh fafnir ran and dominion zephon turned up so these Mm. are the new um these were the black library celebration weekend models Mm -hmm. Uh, the imperial fists and the uh, blood angels sort of heroes from the horus heresy series um very 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 cool um, I'll get these guys built uh, this week, but probably not painted because uh, for the Imperial fists, I- I'm thinking about doing something a bit funky with the Imperial fists in terms oh. of sort of paint scheme. Um, a bit
1: funky, eh? Yeah, I'm 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 thinking about base
3: coating them purple, it and what? then <laughs> yeah, hear me out, hear me out, base coating them purple, and then almost like a Xenophobe type yellow over the top of it. So it leaves the purple showing up underneath it a little bit in places, and then really sort of like weathering them a lot um, to make them look like they've been fighting on on in the Siege of Terra for, for you know for months. It, it, um, obviously, I'm not going to try this on this Bafnir R model because he's too nice a model to ruin if I, if it all goes wrong. But I've got some old Horus Heresy plastic models that I'm going to have a have a mess about with. Try and do something a bit unusual with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen that done before because Perplex is quite a nice kind of like. Shade color to the yellow,
2: it's very distinctive against the yellow. Yeah, mm. that'd be interesting to see.
3: Yeah, so I'm gonna have a go, we'll, we'll see what happens because obviously I'm going to start the Hoya Associate with just like a Zone Mortalis force. So, um, I don't want something that's going to take me ages to paint, uh, but I want it to look a bit different than my 40k armies, which traditionally I paint quite clean looking. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. So, yeah, so it's um, it's been a busy hobby week, really. Um,
0: yeah, that sounds really, really cool. Can't wait to play your new Eldar and let oh, you man, take I the can't <laughs> take the Codex out for a spin. Yeah, same here. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, also looking forward to you chatting about it later on. And before we get to that Eldaric Codex, though, we do have a bit of content to get through first. Starting with the news, and that's coming up next. So, what do we have in this week's news, Matt?
1: So we've got some goodies up for pre order on Saturday. So we have two Age of Sigmar battle tomes up for pre order. Very exciting. So we've got the uh the Ideneth Deepkin and the Fire Slayers, both of the battle tomes up for pre order. Uh books are priced at thirty two pound fifty, which I think is probably the going rate for um battle tomes now. Alongside them they've each got dice at twenty four pounds, which I think is a little bit on the pricey side for dice now, I've got yeah. to say. And then the cards at nineteen pounds as well. So I think they're going to be the the new prices of these kind of things. They are handy to have. Um, I, you know what my favorite thing is about the 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 the, the kind of um, war scroll cards, the um objective uh, sheet that you get in it now as well with your yeah. various. That's really handy for kind of remembering, you know, uh, what you've used, what you can use. Um, but I, I, again. They were like £12 at one point, these cards, weren't they? So they are slowly creeping up. Uh, also, interestingly, if, if you so wish, you can buy an Auric Runefather on Magmadroth as well. Available outside of the uh, stock collecting box. For a long time, it was available separate to the stock collecting box. However, when it got to the point where the stock collecting box was the same price as the Magmadroth, it just took the Magmadroth off the shelf. So uh, you can buy it separately again now. Um, again, arguably, the, the start collecting boxes are really good buy, to get that. Especially if it's going to get replaced by a um, a Vanguard box in the future. If you want to go, we've seen on Warcom, you can do a whole army of Magma Droths. Uh, the the star collecting box might be a good option to mm-hmm. get those. Now, if you play Blood Bowl, there's some cool stuff for pre-order as well. For the Wood Elves, I know Jay's an Elf Ooh. fan. Wood Elf Pitch at £30. Wood Elf Cards at £17.50. And Wood Elf Dice at £12.50. Got to say, the Wood Elf Pitch looks really, really nice. And even the dugouts have kind of got, like, tree stumps and stuff in them. They uh, they look quite fun. I, we, we've said this in the past. When we do our next kind of Blood Bowl League, we should all try and get our own home pitches and use the, the special rules that are in the Spike magazines to represent them. I think that'd yeah. be a good one. So, yeah, yeah So. That looks really cool. Um, I know a lot of people collect the, the various dice as well. So, uh, pick them up while you can. Now that wasn't the only pre-order news that we got, um, over the weekend though. Oh no, Cursed City is back. So this kind of, uh, this kind of came out of nowhere, a bit of a surprise. Um, between Saturday and the 5th of March, which I believe is a, two-week window mm-hmm. uh no it's not saturday the 5th of march is when they go on pre-order and then it's two weeks from that you can uh pre-order a made-to-order version of Curse city it'll be 125 pounds and um third-party sites are doing pre-orders right now for it uh with with a discount as well so if you order within that window you are guaranteed to get a copy of curse city um which is really really cool you will get your copy in may certain regions will have to wait a little bit longer that's really cool now what if you can't you know maybe you can't afford to buy a copy of curse city in march and you're going to miss out on it don't worry because later on in the year curse city will be returning as a regular product range there's been a lot of conspiracy theories about curse city and i think this was always the intent but Obviously, external events interfered in some way. Cursity will be a permanent release later on in the year with a kind of a a soft re-release. Now, with the game made to order coming by May, it wouldn't surprise me if if this is coming out around about then too. And they will have new expansions coming alongside this, which is super exciting because Cursity is a really, really cool game.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'd love to see what they're going to do with their expansion content which we we always like you say we we kind of knew was going to come it's just obviously they had so many problems with the box game they've probably been sitting there ready to go oh yeah um, i imagine so i imagine so the the, the game that the
1: core game literally ends on a cliffhanger yeah. it's leading into a sequel and the 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 mission in the in the box game is the first part so i wonder if they do it a little bit differently than well, they might be similar to blackstone fortress where they have big boxes with another like chapter and then smaller boxes with maybe a couple of new monsters and a new hero. That's kind of how they did the Blackstone Fortress releases. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this because Curse City is ace. I had a whale of a time painting up all the adversaries. And you can take me to Soulbright Gravelord's Army as well. So that's potentially some expansions for my uh, Gravelord's Force as well. So, yeah, really, really excited for this. Um, i know you guys are a fan of the warhammer quest games as well so uh yeah, i really think good. we'll have to be rolling some dice for that in the near future won't we
2: mm. yeah, yeah definitely absolutely.
1: so also um officially unveiled today on uh warhammer community we've known about it for a little bit but it's been really hard to not mention it because it looks like such a good bargain is the new eldari combat patrol so in this you get a entire squad of the brand new guardians you get a wraith lord you get a farseer and you get six jet bikes that seems like a really good set
2: yeah especially if you want to do um if you want multiple boxes of them like the wraith lords you can you can build yourself a wraith army so that definitely gives you a unit where you're going to have you know a couple of units of those the jet bikes, again, you know, you, you can build an army around jet bikes now, can't you? So, And then the Guardians, you, you can always build them as Storm Guardians as well as normal Guardians. So I, I really like Combat Patrol boxes and stuff that have a lot of... Uh, you're going to want to buy multiples of, and this one looks really good.
1: Mm, yeah, now I'm a big fan of this one. Now, it comes out in April. Now, I have a question mark here. Does that mean the last few kits for the Eldari come out in April as well? Maybe. Maybe. They might all come out at the same time, which is a shame because that avatar looks amazing. Um, But I think we would have, if it was going to be soon after the first wave, I think we would have already seen it off the order by now. So it wouldn't surprise me if those are the two kits. What have we got, Jay? We've got the... Um,
3: Shining Spears. Shining and Spears the and the Avatar, Avatar. I
1: yeah. So, yeah, I, I imagine they'll come in April alongside this box. So, yeah, they're, 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 they're really cool. Uh, they've also said that the Grey Knights and the Thousand Suns combat patrols will come out in March as well. So, yeah, I quite... This seems to be a bit of a new thing for, for Warcon, where they're saying Curse City has got a full release, in may we've got this coming out in april we've got these boxes coming out in march i for one definitely uh approve of giving us a date on stuff that's in the future like you know quite a few
0: months in the future yeah allowing us to prep our wallets and purses for um, <laughs> for what's coming
2: yeah i remember yeah, exactly. way back in the day they used to do it didn't they because i remember the um eighth edition toon king book getting announced and it was like oh in april it's coming and it was like Four or five months later, when it came out, and I was like, "Wow, that's quite a long distance." And then they went and through that period of not really telling us when anything was coming. Yeah.
1: Well, I I think, and you know what? I know why they don't, because there is an argument that if you know that, say, Andy, Chaos Space Marines are coming out in June, there's a good chance that you don't buy any games or stuff until June because you're waiting for the Chaos Space Marines. Yeah. If you know that they're coming at some unspecified time in the future likelihood you'll probably buy some of the kits and book all before then so i get why they do it um but this is an interesting sign that they're putting dates on this stuff um yeah. like you say it is good to be able to plan your purchase and know when stuff's coming out so that's yeah. pretty cool um yeah and we also saw a new model for warhammer underworlds so it's been a weird season of underworlds hasn't it we got the core box with the with the, with the cruel boys and the storm cast in we found out that there was just uh, three, no, two, maybe two war bands following that before another starter box would come out. The first of those war bands was the, um, the pirate ogre. I forget his name. Black...
3: So we're buccaneers, wasn't it? So Black Powder's
1: buccaneers. Black Powder's but... buccaneers with the, with the monkey with a knife. Uh, they were amazing. And we saw the first model of the, the next, and I guess final for this season of, uh, underworlds, the exiled dead. So this is a dude who seems to have, I think it's an orc's arm that's attached to his body, and it's got all kind of like electrodes and stuff going out of it. Hilariously, his name is Coyle, you know, <laughs> an and uh, he is, it looks like it's a new, a new thing for the undead, an arc walker, um, which is a, an undead creature that has been animated by electrical force. So very much a Frankenstein's monster kind of vibe, and we said when we looked at the, you know, the Sobat Gravelers, they've gone back to the kind of classic monsters thing, haven't they? With the yeah. skeletons and zombies and bats and werewolves and vampires. So you can add kind of Frankenstein's monster to this. So it wouldn't surprise me if the leader of the warband is like a mad scientist. If we've got a little kind of like Igor fella. Um, yeah, I, I I quite like the look of this dude.
0: Yeah, it's got a lot of character to him. I wonder what Nagash feels about um, creating... Monsters like undead.
1: He probably doesn't fully approve, but you know he's uh, he's not in the best. He's licking his in, wounds is anyway,
3: isn't he so you know he's not calling the shots anymore for the time he's being. We just I leave the way um, more
1: wacky undead stuff, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, I, I wonder whether Curse City might expand on this sort of like say Frankenstein's monster kind of um, aesthetic for a new sort of death faction or something. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean I think that'd be really cool. I like that. I mean. Oh, if I'm honest, I'd like mummies, but they're more of a Tomb King thing. Tomb King, yeah. Um, what
3: I, when I saw this model, um, it really reminded me of. Do you remember the Regiments of Rema- Renown? And there was an undead regiment. You could take it, it. Had like an undead, a skeleton orc, a skeleton elf. Yeah, it, it'd be really cool to see like undead versions. Because I mean, we've got like generic ghosts, we've got generic skeletons, human skeletons, and we've got the sort of ossyark bone constructs.
2: But it'd be great to see undead elves, undead dwarfs, yeah. undead orics. I mean, we got the undead, um, ogres, didn't we, in City? Yes, we did. you right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'd be, that'd be a cool addition, wouldn't it? Undead elf archers as a yeah. ranged unit for the, uh, for the, uh, undead. That'd be cool. So yeah, again, we don't know when he's out, but presumably not too far off within the next couple of months. And then, um, I guess in the summer, the next edition of Underworlds so It is flown by that, hasn't it?
0: Uh, it has and you know what's really like i've not even had a game of harrow deep yet
1: we need uh, to we need you need to get on that I, the, we we said back when harrow deep came out it's a bit of a double-edged sword it's cool that obviously that there's going to be more models coming out for the game but is it a bit rushed six month seasons i think we'll have to just see how how they go i mean it's 40k and harrow deep presumably age of Sigmar at some point wouldn't surprise me if it goes the same way um mm-hmm. you, six months to me just seems a little bit too uh condensed King. maybe
0: yeah i agree
1: so yeah and then finally final bit in news. uh next saturday is the anniversary of warhammer world the tickets went up on sale a couple of weeks ago and sold out in seconds i believe and we were lucky enough to, to snag some tickets before they uh they went so we're all heading down there next saturday um we don't know the details of the event i I, I personally don't think we'll see a load of reveals and stuff because it's more of a fancy store anniversary, isn't it, rather than a open day. But, you know, is it Warhammer World? They could have some cool stuff. They um, certainly have some exclusive models available for the first time. In particular, the uh, the new Inquisitor, Dave.
0: Oh, man. Can't wait to pick up this model. He looks so cool. Especially with, like, his sword stabbing, like, demon coming out of a book.
1: Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll definitely be picking this up. I was thinking yesterday, it, it'd probably be a cool model to convert up into a uh, Necromunda gang leader as well. Mm. So was. yeah, it's uh, it sounds sounds pretty fun. So the official write up over on um, on on uh, the, uh, the Eventbrite page celebrate twenty five years of Warhammer World. That's like older than Andy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> almost, not quite. Almost, yeah.
1: um Complete activities, earn stamps, collect rewards, and grab exclusive store anniversary miniatures. On your arrival, you get an activity card in the atrium to join in with all the great activities and get your card stamped to earn rewards. So I think we absolutely need to do that, guys.
0: As long, as long as it's not as hard as to find an assassin within
2: the uh, yeah. diorama. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but so, I, I've never been able to even come close to finding the assassin in that.
1: So I believe this will be the first non-tournament event at Warhammer World since COVID struck. So it's it's been a long time, guys, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, uh, it really has. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, me too. Like I say, especially for that Inquisitor.
1: Yeah, and that has all on news quite a lot of news there this week, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, quite that nice spread of nice spread of uh, releases and news. Um, I think it's time to talk about how we got uh, what we got up to yesterday at the Purple Sparkle Unicorns tournament. So we're gonna grab a fresh brew and we'll be right back with that. So yesterday at the time of recording, we all took part in a one-day 40k tournament hosted by the purple Sparkle unicorns it was a thousand points uh, it was free games and it was an awful lot of fun so what we are going to do is we're going to talk about each of the three rounds how our armies um got on and where we finished at the end um so i think before we uh, we actually start talking about that let's talk about what we took um so matt what, what did you take along to the tournament well, I, I I I've been a fan of the Genius of the
1: Court since the new book came out, and I've been dying to have some proper games with them, and um, because I think people are, there's a little bit of moaning on on Facebook and the like that they're not as ridiculously powerful as the Tower and the Elder, and arguably they're not, but I think they're a very good army. they can do lots of tricksy stuff. So I poured over the book trying to find a list that I could try and maximise as many secretaries as I can. With the logic of, even if I can't get the primaries, just on weight of secondaries, i going to have a good score at the end of it and hopefully win the game. That's my logic anyway. We'll see how that went on. Uh, so I took the Rust Claw. So this is the kind of like Mad Max biker variant of the gene the courts their main gimmick is uh the ability to move advance whatever they don't care they always start as counter stationary for shooting which is really really cool it also yes. means that they're really good for getting behind units and setting up crossfire and exposed and all that shenanigans so i had a um a patriarch he's a big boy he's doing all the work a Magus, whose job was basically to sit at the back and do psychic actions to try and get secondaries. An Icon Ward to bring people back. And a Nexus to divvy out some crossfire markers at the start of each turn. Um, from a kind of troop choices, I had some acolyte hybrids and neophyte hybrids. I had a unit of pure string gene stealers. I had a reductor saboteur for blowing things up with bombs. An Achilles Red runner. Some Aslan jackals loaded up with demo charges. And a Goliath rock grinder.
0: Hmm, a very a very good list. Now I'd actually had practiced uh against this list on that no, before you mentioned the hobby section, so I had a good idea of what what matt's army could could do secondaries which we'll obviously talk about um shortly. Um Jay, you took along your Ultramarines. What, what what did your army look like? Yeah, so I
3: didn't put as much thought into the uh maximizing secondaries or primaries in my army list. What I wanted to do instead was take something that I've not like I mixed it up a bit. So normally I take a lot of cuz it's Ultramarines, Intercessors are the way I normally go. I normally have 15 or so, or 20, including the heavy intercessors for all the bolt rifles to take advantage of their tactical doctrine. This time I wanted to mix up a bit, so I took um, some Assault Intercessors instead uh, as my main troop's choice. Um, my Dreadnought, I normally take my trusty um, Dreadnought with the Onslaught Gatling Cannon. He's been my staple in most of my Ultraman's lists, I think, since Ninth edition. Um, I decided to swap that one for the Plasma Dreadnought instead with the... Um, um macro plasma incinerator cannon is it i think it's called um and then i decided to swap out my primaries captain for a primaris librarian um so I, um that was my army oh i had my um usual unit of um hellbusters as well um um with the assault um plasma incinerators which they just get a crazy amount of shots um and i normally run them alongside a uh, chaplain with the master of sanctity um upgrade which allows him to um use two listeners a turn and they inspire on a two plus rather than a three plus um he didn't have a good um a good day though uh, which we'll, we'll we'll talk about uh soon so so yeah so that was my ultramarines army
0: um i so like, pl- like using the ultramarines Chaplain Dave let you down, but we'll Chaplain um, Dave let me down a lot. <laughs> uh but we'll talk about him more uh, in a in a little while. Um, Andy, as a as a sort of a, a co member of the the Unicorns, what did you take along? Uh
2: so I took my Adeptus Custodies along, but my like I said at the beginning of the podcast, my forty K collection is it's not very big. Um during the last sort of like two years. A lot of my 40k projects that I sort of started and not really finished. I basically sold them all and the Adeptus Custodes. I sold my land raider because it, uh, basically I, I'd rushed the paint job and I just wasn't happy with it. So when I was writing a list for this event, I also didn't realize that you can only take one shield captain per detachment. Now I, I, I only took one shield captain, not an issue, but when. And you take away a shield captain out of my collection, everything else that I've got apart from a Contemptor Dreadnought comes to nine hundred and ninety points. <laughs> so it's just enough to actually play in the event. Um, so I was kind of limited to what I could take, um, but I took um, so I took um, the Emperor's Chosen subfaction, which I definitely did not forget the rules for. Um, <laughs> Then I took a, a shield captain, um, three units of custodian guard, and, and each unit I had two shields um, and one spear. Um, and then looking through the um, stratagems and stuff, there's actually a stratagem where if the entire unit has shields, they can use um, a very cool stratagem, which, um, yeah, I did not realize. Had I realized, I probably put would, would have put all the spears in one unit and then had two units of shields, but there you go. Um, then I had a unit of three Alaris Custodians, three Custodian Wardens, and then Bruce Banner, the guy with the banner, uh, a Bruce Pre- banner, a <laughs> Vexilus Praetor, um, and then I took a uh, Vanguard Detachment, so I only started with um, three command points, um, and that basically came to 990 points with upgrades and stuff, so, um, yeah, quite... Uh, a very small elite army, but again, it's Adeptus Custodes so we're gonna be small and elite. Yeah, it's a very nice army to
0: look at. and No jetpacks as well, which is a refreshment for Custodies. Yeah, um,
2: I've I've always I've always had that stigma with them. When I when I started my Custodies, it was around the time that every Custodies player was just taking an army of jetpacks and that was it, and I didn't want to do that. um no. No, fair enough. Um, I took along my trusted Necrons Um a very similar,
0: again, like you, Andy, um, I don't have an awful lot of Necrons painted. So I've not got much variety in what I can build. Um, the more I play with, the more I think I, I really need to paint some more Necrons. Um, so it's a very similar list to what I've used before, but I, I managed to get a little bit extra in there because of uh, points cuts that the Necrons have had. Um, so I took along my uh, Overlord with uh, the Resurrection Orb, which I upgraded to the Orb of Eternity. He was backed up by a Royal Warden because I thought the ability to fall back and shoot uh, would be pretty important. Uh, and then as a final HQ choice, I had a Chronomancer. Um, he had the Veil of Darkness Relics. I spent the CP at the beginning of the, um, obviously the beginning of all the games. Um, I then had two units of Necron Warriors, 10 man, one armed with Flayers, one armed with Reapers. Uh, and I had, to finish off the Troop's Choice to make a Battalion Detachment, I had a unit of five Necron Immortals armed with Gorse Blasters. Uh, moving into Elites, I had a unit of three Scorpec Destroyers to give me some combat punch. Uh, I also had two Crypto Alls, um to tag along with my uh, Chronomancer. Um, I also had, um, I think that was it, for... oh no, and I also had in my Elite slot a unit of five Flayed Ones. Um, now my thinking with the flayed ones was um, to use them for, for actions obviously I'll mention how they get on as we talk about the rounds and then to finish off the list so I think that's almost everything I had a doomsday arc as well Um so this thing swings one way or the other uh, when I use it um, in the game against Matt on the Saturday it did really really well it had mixed fortunes um, yesterday but um I think it made its points back at least um, and that was I believe my army Um so we're going to talk about how we got on uh, in the rounds uh, the first round was th- these are all from Nakmon, so the latest chapter approved the first game we played was Deliverance and Andy uh, we got drawn against each other <laughs> we did yeah um truth be told that i might have had some influence on that (laughs) (laughs) so me and andy hadn't had a game for quite a few a couple years at least
2: yeah i mean we all went down to warmer world back in november didn't we but i think i played matt and then i played jay so we missed out Mm. um so when this event came around i was kind of like yeah i i kind of want to play dave at least once so um
0: it, it was it it was a very good game. Um I've played obviously the custodies quite a few times, um, because Jay, you've got quite a large army of them as well. Um and unfortunately it didn't go quite so well for the Necrons. How did the game go for you, Andy? Uh
2: well obviously it went pretty well. Um, you know, <laughs> killed some uh, evil robots, you know, claimed victory for the Emperor, you know, that sort of stuff. So yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, I think turn two, um I think because I had a a squad of custodian on the middle objective and a squad of custodians from my perspective on the the top left objective. And I think you killed basically all bar. I I think I had one guy from both unit and then another guy on like a wound and the other unit Mm -hmm. had, it was just one guy. I think if you'd killed them turn two, I just didn't have enough bodies to come back. But, because yeah, basically i got a bit lucky in terms of like invulnerable saves and um that sort of stuff that they were able to shrug it off and yeah having i think having the um objective secured on all of your infantry stuff is is, is so good and i mm-hmm. think that's ultimately what really gave me the the edge up over you yeah it was
0: um it was a, it was a tough match up I, I couldn't quite get you off the objectives. I fired you know i I pumped like most of my army to one unit of custodians and cause like one or two wounds
2: yeah it uh, that's always been the case with custodians if if you can if they can tank the wounds then they just don't go anywhere um but yeah, I think was it turn one you teleported your Necron warriors with Gores reapers mm-hmm. um and I think was that when you killed half the squad.
0: I think a combination of that unit of ten uh, Necron with Reapers and the Doomsday Cannon I think killed
2: one Custodian. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was going to be. I don't. I don't want to say it was going to be a tough game because, like I said, I think you got if I had got a little bit more unlucky with my dice rolls in that turn too, I think you would have probably just run away with the game. So. Uh, i mean ultimately we went five turns didn't we so we did we did and you know although the, the score was to you
0: I, I did better than um i hoped i would i did okay on some of my secondaries Um one thing of note i mentioned my flayed ones oh. is i was after <laughs> retrieve uh and data and um my flayed ones came down and obviously we do doing being a unit of five if they're not troops, you have to roll a dice now to see if you retrieve data. Which is fine if you've got a unit of six or more, you basically automatically get it. But because I had five, I had to roll a dice, and all I needed was a, a one to five, and I would have scored that quarter. And I rolled a six, um, which was just absolutely typical. And it, what made it even funnier is, is Matt said to me before the the tournament, I had ten points left, which I couldn't find anything to take. He was like, "You could take an extra fade one, Dave." And I was like, "I don't actually have one though." As it was, if I'd had that extra that sick flayed one, that wouldn't have been an issue.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um but never mind. It was it was a really fun game. And I have to take away that from the game the fact that I did kill your shield captain, um, which was um which was pretty tasty.
2: Yeah, he shield captains for me have always been a bit they should it on paper you look at them and you're like they are tough as nails, they are harder than anything. And I think the first turn, when I charged your Scorpec Destroyers, I think I did like two wounds, didn't I? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and and then you took me down to about two wounds. And then next turn, he turned around and killed two of them. Mm-hmm. But then your guy attacked me back and killed me. So it was, yeah,
0: it was funny, it was, though. It was a very close combat phase, that wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, at least I could take that away from the, the day that I would killed his shield captain, uh, which was pretty satisfying um how did game one go for for you matt
1: so i was playing james this thousand sons and it was a really fun game i don't think james played many games with him it was possibly his first full game with the thousand sons and they have a lot of magic and a lot of bookkeeping um so i guess one of the things on our game we got we only got as far as turn two because there was a lot of kind of like spell management to do um, and we are we actually discussing this with uh, Chief Unicorn Craig at the at the end of the event. But what what we only got to turn to, and at that point, it wouldn't really have been fair to to call a winner because you know, there's different spikes that armies can get kind of victory points in, isn't there? So what we did was worked out realistically what would have happened for the rest of the game. You know, I'd have probably been able to do this psychic power here he'd have been able to move a unit into this quarter for that you know obviously stuff could have happened anything that would have made a difference we did a dice roll for just to work out if it would have gone off or not so with that kind of like theory hammer at the end of it it ended at 63 points to the thousand suns 53 points to the uh the genes of the courts um in turn one i way underestimated the psychic output of the thousand suns <laughs> they, they, they sting if you get close to them. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so yeah, so they, they, they were pretty scary. But then likewise, um, it, the. The speed and brutality of Gene Stealers surprised James as well. Gene Stealers have always been re- recent anyway. They're kind of like red-headed stepchild of both the Gene Stealer courts and the Tyrannids. Um, we're now in the new Gene Stealer book, and hopefully they get a similar profile in the in the Tyrannid book. They are terrifying things now. They're quick. They just rinse through units like no one's business uh the mm. patriarch uh i mean there's a strategy in the in the book where you can just make him advance six inches considering he's got movement eight and he can advance and charge and i had the relic where you can't overwatch against him basically i could throw this gene or whatever unit i like shut down overwatch and then pile and everything else so yeah he he did really really well and bit of a running theme across all the games after turn one people are like okay those bikes die first and that Patriarch has to die. They got bullied. <laughs> they got bullied a little bit over the event. That's that, that's shocking. But no, it was really a really good game. Um, in hindsight, what I should have done was maybe just lurk back a turn um, out of range of his psychic powers because I can close that distance easy enough in my turn. Um, my my Ridge Runner and bikes get a nine-inch move at the start of the game and I'd use that to get up onto some objectives where really I didn't need to do that because they can just run and shoot and there's no penalty because of rusted claw. So because of that, they were in range for a bit of a, a kicking from psychic powers. Yeah, but, uh,
0: They'll
1: get their revenge one day, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Jay, how about yourself? How did the Ultra fare? fare?
3: Uh, the ultimate so uh, in my first game, I played a chap called Andy. who was uh, wielding a Jukari army. So this was the first time I played Jukari, I'd heard all the horror stories. Um, but this is actually the first time I'd played uh, Drakari Ninth Edition, um, and um, in his list he had it was a really nice looking army. Actually, Andy went on to win the um, best painted, I believe, for the uh, the event as well. He had a um, uh, very similar to Craig's Drakari list. Actually, it was a um, a Cabal. Is it the Arcane a Vex, but uh, Cabal Black Heart Cabal uh, with a is it Cult of Strife, which Cult alongside it. Um, oh yeah he had um an arcane a succubus um Andrazar leading it uh with a squad of incubi a squad of scourges uh a squad of witches a squad of warriors um a raider and a um ravager um i think that was it i don't think there's anything else in the list um and um he got the first turn and uh drakari very quick um, he's able to get a bead on the Dreadnought, and he pretty much destroyed the Dreadnought in a turn. Um, and then, really, my army lacked any range. I couldn't keep up with the Drukari. Uh They were just too quick. And I didn't, because I, I, I dropped the intercessors and things from my list, I didn't have the range firepower to, to sort of get to them. Um, and I made some mistakes as well with my secondary selection. So I had a librarian, so I decided to take the... Um, um because he had three characters a psychic interrogation secondary objective oh yeah um, but but the the plan for the librarian was to sort of um cast psychic fortress to keep my to give an invulnerable save to my um assault incestors as they moved across the board of course if you're doing a psychic action you can't cast any psychic powers um so i i, I really it was either i was making a decision between improving the resilience of me heavy uh, me assault incestors or um or trying to get some points from the secondary um mm i think it's it, it I, I struggle sometimes with match play i find there's a lot of moving parts with match play and, and a lot of it um you have to sort of, of it, tailor your army a little bit towards the secondaries that you're going to choose going into each game um it, it forms part of your sort of list building process and i didn't i don't put yeah. those two things together yet because we're so used to playing crusade games where you can the agendas aren't critical to the actual mission Um they're just things you can work on uh, as and when um so certainly, I'm going to give that some more thought when I'm writing lists for these kind of tournaments going forward. Um, so yeah, so so I struggled. Um, the the damage output from the Jukari was very very um, very strong. Um, lots of high strength, high damage, um, high AP weapons were coming at me. Um, the Succubus um, was very very um, scary. Lot, more attacks than the Solitaire it gets more attacks than the Solitaire and dishes out mortal wounds all over the shop. Drizar was very very cool. Rerolling hits, rerolling wounds. Um, I did manage to chop the head off the succubus with my librarian after she had um, minced her way through uh, my assault intercessor squad, uh, but my librarian didn't last very long, and I think by the... Uh, I think I got three turns in before my army was wiped from the battlefield. <laughs>
2: wow. So
3: my first game was a loss. But it was fun to fight the Jukari and, you know, just appreciate how how fast and, and how um, uh, damaging they are. And we talked about this afterwards, Dave, on the way home, that um, having a mobile army definitely helps in 9th edition because you've got so yeah. many more options available to you in terms of secondary. you've got to engage in all fronts uh, you've got the behind enemy lines and things like this it, that is much more easier to achieve with a mobile army you can sort of react to the enemy's movements a bit better and and things like that and when objectives are disappearing off the battlefield in certain missions as well um, and I didn't have anything I didn't have any bikes I didn't have any terminators to deep strike I didn't have any transports and I think that that really hindered Melissa uh, especially against an opponent like the Drakari, which is so quick
2: um, but it was yeah. a good
3: game it was a fun game and that uh, the army that they really really well painted it, and um it was great to see like um jazar such a nice model
0: he actually won uh best sporting as well i think
3: yes i think he did I, he, yeah he got to the top table i think he was he, he came second in the end but yeah um, he was a, he was a a, a a good opponent to, to play and it was a fun game even though like the ultra Greens got slaughtered
0: <laughs> <laughs> excellent so we moved into round two after lunch and um well, what can I say? This happens in quite a few unicorn events, I think, somehow, <laughs> some way. Uh, I end up facing my old adversary. Uh, the guy that I would had a practice game against, Mr. Crowver. It was me, yeah. and, me and you. which it didn't
1: make us chuckle, like say we'd literally played the night before, so we each knew each other's tricks and tactics.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we played, um, I don't know what the mission was called now.
2: Uh reconnaissance,
0: so we played the reconnaissance mission from uh Nackmund, which really favored fast moving armies like just what Jay was saying then obviously' with like um having those mobile armies is really helpful um so even though I knew obviously what how quick Matt's army was and stuff i didn't I didn't want you Matt to take control of the board early on, like I thought I need to score early, um put some pressure on you straight away, make you make some choices. Um, so, you know, I teleported my Necrons quite early doors and got myself onto objectives. But in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um,
1: yeah, if, if if anything, you gave me a springboard to get on those objectives. If you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have been able to get onto them that turn until the following turn. But because it just gave me a little a little bit more reach for me to be able to charge into you, I was then set up for turn two.
0: Yeah, it's a difficult one because if I hadn't, then yes, OK, that you might not have been in combat with me turn one but you've you'd have your board control would have been ridiculous and it would have been hard to score i think um because you'd have had such a good opening turn um so it, it's it's a really difficult one um it was a really fun game as as games against you are um <laughs> but let's just say your secondaries were achieved far better than I yeah so I, I managed to get 99
1: points <laughs> which I'm pretty pretty happy with. So I maxed all the primaries. The only secondary I didn't get a full score on was the 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 um GC local specific one, uh, which in most of my games I managed to get four points for, but because you pretty much castled up on one of my objectives that I needed to get just to deny me getting that. Yeah. Basically it wasn't until I'd pretty much wiped your army that I was able to get it like at the end of the game put me yeah. on 99 rather 100 um i think that was definitely a good plan though because if you if you let the GNC player get those objectives turn two turn three they're just going to get 15 points and that's a massive lead we were chatting at the event how some of the codec specific ones are quite hard to get uh the, the that that specific one for the GNC the court is if you've got the right army and lots of quick units and you know you've got units coming down from from underground and all sorts. It is quite easy to get at least one of them turn two for nine points. And I do wonder if that needs tweaking a little bit. Maybe make it seven points turn two rather than nine points. Because even then, over the course of the game, I think you've got a good chance of getting them all. It's just not if they can get one turn two and one turn three, they've won. Maybe make it so that they need to get, I don't know. A, something else just to make it a little bit harder for them to get it because i think it was in all of the games really it was quite easy to max it out
0: this was the sabotage second yeah wasn't so it So
1: essentially the, the your opponent puts down two additional objective markers that don't interact with anything else and there's there's points that you score based on how quickly you get them the problem that your opponents got is that the gene stealers are very quick and then you're in a difficult position because you were at the start of the game. You were very, very conscious that you didn't want to give me a six inch window behind you for my guys to deploy in. No. Unfortunately, as the game went on, you had to creep forward with your units a little bit. And that was the, the moment I needed just to throw down a unit. And then suddenly you've got units behind you. You've got Gene steelers in front of you. The entire army is exposed and it goes downhill really quickly at that point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had I had to move like my characters that was trying to screen out my back to to keep my auras up, um, which are really important, um, for like my protocols for, um, things like that. So I had to move them forward, but like you say, it just left this gap at the back, which you were able to to cap capitalize on. Um, so I think you you scored ninety nine out of hundred. I think I scored forty four, something like that. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think my troops died too quickly, and a, a lot of my secondaries kind of rely on them sticking around a little bit, uh, a little bit more. So, unfortunately, it was it was another loss to you, Matt. Um one day in a unicorn tournament, uh, I will have my moment, at a victory. I'll tell you what I I'll write
1: you a list. I'll write you a list. <laughs> I think I'll batter them.
0: So yeah, it was uh, it was really fun. Um, Andy, who were you up against in uh, your second game?
2: Uh so second game I played against a guy called Scott. Um so Scott is um uh, he was playing Eldar, um of which I think there was probably the most represented army at the event was Eldar. Yeah, that
3: that surprised me to see so many Craft World Eldar armies using their sort of like, you know, like a really, really old codex now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's got a bit of a hype, right? Like the new yeah. codex. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Um yeah, so I was playing Scott and I think this is one of his first events playing in a very long time. Very, very long time. And I first off, I thoroughly enjoyed the game. I think he did very well. He definitely did a lot better than I did remembering rules and stuff. And he'd gone for a very aspect-heavy army. So he had a Farseer, Spirit Seer. But then he had Dire Avengers, Swooping Hawks, Dark Reapers, the Shadow Spectres from Forge World, yep. Um, and the Shadow Seer, the um, oh, what's it called? Rafe Seer, sorry, uh, Rafe Seer as well. And this scenario was we, we only got two turns in, so uh, the first turn, basically, I sort of moved up. His first turn, he was super aggressive with his Shining Spears um and his sort oh, of like fire dragons and stuff like that. And then my turn two was basically dealing with all these um shining spears, which were hilarious because I think his shining spears charged into free custodian guard, killed two of them, and then in my turn two, I charged in uh Bruce Banner, <laughs> charged him in, and with just two shining spears He did four wounds out of six to Bruce, but then couldn't do the last two wounds to a regular custodian guard. And it was Mm. just like, what? What? What's going on? Um, But yeah, we we only managed to get sort of um, two turns in. Um, But basically what had happened in those first two turns, I'd killed, um, I'd shot and killed his shadow specters, apart from one guy. I killed most of his dark reapers by bringing in some Alaris custodians and then um I used the uh, Marshal Katal that um doubles their shots from the um from the Castellan axes. Mm-hmm. Um so with all that sort of stuff I was able to kill off the dark reapers and then most of the shadow specters. I finished off all of his shining spears apart from the Exarch and basically after that he didn't really have any maneuverability he was sort of locked into his table half and I was kind of locked into mine because if I ran at him the again had I remembered the emperor's chosen ability to give me a four plus save against mortal wounds then I might not have lost as many guys but the psychic phase was just doing so many mortal wounds to me that every I mean every time he kills a custodian guard that's a that's a big chunk of my army you know Mm. i think i've got like 17 models in my army and he was killing sort of like three or four each turn just in the psychic phase sort of thing so um again remembering rules in this particular game might have made a big difference um but then we had to have a bit of a chat afterwards because it got to about (laughs) quarter past two and the round finished at half two and like i said we we'd only managed to get two turns in so it was kind of like you know what what's going to happen and basically in in my turn three i think we agreed i i would kill his shang spirit exarch because he'd left it in range of most of what i had left um and he was on one wound and then because of where the obscuring terrain was on the board i could effectively just hide from what he had left Mm. Um and so we sort of like worked it out, worked out secondaries and, and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, in, in the end, I think it worked out at um sixty something points to Scott and fifty ish points to me. Um so again That's it was a close game then. To, yeah, it was it was very close. Um like I said, I think there was one or two uh, I say one or two turns, we only got two turns in, but um turn two there was um I, I didn't get grind them down um because i left like one shadow specter alive and the shining spear exarch if i killed either of those units then i would have got ground them down for an extra turn and you know that would have made a bit of a a difference so yeah it was still still a close game and it was a really fun list and like i said going for all of the different aspect warriors was really cool to see and some of his some of his um I, th- I say some of them most of his Eldar models were actually from rogue trader era oh wow yeah so um the um Dot reaper Arc had like a, a a very small missile launcher with like a massive um magazine on top <laughs> uh yeah it was the army itself was was awesome it was great to see so um and yeah scott if you're listening thank you for the game it's, um,
0: uh, we're not going to go too much into the subject because obviously we've got a limited time on the podcast, but um it, it's a hard one, isn't it? When, so me and Matt, we, we I think we did all five turns, didn't we? We did indeed. But, you know, we played with these armies, we played against each other, we, we you know, we played quite a bit of 40k. It's quite easy for us to, to, to churn through the turns. It's almost like you need a ruling for, because you don't want to put new people off coming to a tournament um, because otherwise they'll never have one. You know, you'll never have your first tournament. But it's almost like you feel like you have to have this kind of rule that if you don't make it past turn two or three or something, that you've got this, like, mechanic to to work out who the victor is going to be. I mean, in, in the games, that obviously, Jay mentioned, the game that you just mentioned, Andy, you've, you know, very sportingly sort of gone through the turns and worked out who would have won. Um, but maybe a topic for a future podcast would be, you know, should there be something in the core cool rulebook Four tournaments that if it doesn't reach turn five, how you work out who won something like that,
2: yeah. I get your turns done in time, yeah. Well, yeah, well, we, we so again, I was speaking to the other organizers and we go back and forth because we've always sort of uh, kind of house ruled it that you sort of just have that chat with your opponent, but at the same time, like, had we um, counted the scores at the end of turn two. I was on 19 points and Scott was on 16. Mm. Um, so because we actually sort of, you know, theorized how the game would go realistically. Um, it turned out that I, I lost. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not fussed. (laughs) Like, it's, it's just a game to me. So I'm not really bothered, but, um, yeah, I could, and the, the big issue is, especially for newer players, we don't want, we don't want to rush them um obviously no. if it, like you said we want we want the event to be inviting to to new players um and we don't want to put any players realistically in that position where you have to have that conversation with your opponent and say this is what i think happens because realistically this is a dice game right you know you roll a six on your run roll instead of a one it can make a big difference if it means oh, yeah, your unit yeah. can shoot or not doesn't it so
1: that, that, that um, no-brainer um, quarter that you've got, you might not have got on a duff roll.
2: Yeah, exactly. And depending so, on how a
1: combat phase goes before then, maybe you've used all your, your command points, it's, there's a lot of variables.
2: Yeah. Uh, I Those... mean, I've, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, aren't you? If you have that chat or if you don't have that chat. But, I mean, thankfully, all of the players that came to the event were all, you know, phenomenal blokes and you know we we're, were super lucky in the PSU to have the, the people but we do so
0: yeah yeah maybe maybe a, a topic for for a future for a future cast uh, Jay how did you get on in your second game well well
3: well the ultra Greens had a solution for um to make sure the game ended in time and that was to to become decimated by turn three. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you never run out of time if your army's dead halfway through the game. Um, so my second game um, was um, out of the frying pan into the fire. Jukari again. <laughs> Purple spark Unicorn's <laughs> chief unicorn, Craig, had a Jukari list. And it was very similar to Andy's Jukari list. Um, I think there was the same witch cult, the same cabal. Um, the same succubus was there. There was no Drukhari this time. Um, and no Incubi in place. There was, um, uh, da, 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 what was it now? The mandrakes, um, and some venoms. Um, but but it, it played very similar to, to Andy, so I knew I was in for a, a tough fight. Um, and um, yeah, he definitely gave me a, a tough fight. Um but it was a fun game and I had my moments where the Ultramarines were able to um you know inflict a bit of damage on the um on the Dracari. Um I got a nice turn one charge using the Ultramarines um redeploy strategy, so the ultramarines have a really cool the Ultramarines um supplement, the Codex, is fantastic. It's really, really good. It's definitely held its own, I think, against other ninth edition codexes that have come out, you know, as the power ramp sort of you know, the power ramps up a bit. the earlier codexes, the eighth edition codexes tend to sort of struggle a bit. Um, but the the, the ultra ones definitely definitely does well um so yeah so so i was able to to redeploy my dreadnought and my assault intercessors and, and librarian to different parts of the board to capitalize on on his advanced sort of deployment with his mandrakes and and, and kill that unit early on um but then then the succubus hit and it was really it, the succubus did a, a lot to sort of maul my army and then one 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 once I think he charged into well, she charged into my um assault Intercessors in turn one or turn two. Uh, and did ten mortal wounds to them, uh, which is five assault intercessors dead. Um uh, and then the witch, and, and then kill killed the other three with her regular attacks. Um then then chopped off the head of the librarian. Uh, the dreadnought would, was dark lan- no heat lanced to, to to death. Um they're they're really brutal. Two heat lances running up on some Reaver jet bikes. Um, and at that point then, I, I didn't have anything with any punch left, uh, just my Hellblasters, which were, were um, nobbled by the um, lightning fast reflexes of the Dracari. Um, I also struggled again in this one with my secondaries, and this was the mobility. So I, I took the retrieved Nakman data. But only having, I mean, because I was losing models really quickly, I, I, I only had like a unit of Hellbusters and a unit of um a, a half a unit of um, Intercessors to, to do any of these actions with. And this was the mission as well where you had the Recon Sweep action that you could do for like that, um mm-hmm. the, the, to top up your primary. But of course, if they're doing those actions, they're not shooting. And because I only had those units left, I wasn't able to do any damage that turn, which meant the following Drukhari turn, he was able to come at me again hardly you know not losing any models really um also the retrieved napman data you have to get so far into each table quarter to actually perform the action in the first instance and um not having any transports or any anything that could you know any bikes or deep strikers or anything like that i wasn't able to get into the position so retrieve the napman data wasn't really a great secondary pick for my army um but there wasn't very many other secondaries that i had a good shot at getting really um i think i took um um uh, is it bring bring them down the vehicle hunting one in that one because he had three vehicles um and i was able to kill one of them um but yeah so, so i think i think i think um he was able to finish me off i think in his turn four uh, craig's turn four or or craig's turn three i think he went second um but it, it was a really cool game craig's a great opponent uh, and it was just it was just really really cool to see i am like i say th- this was the first time really playing a Drakkar even and they were frightening that that succubus was um was was really really cool, and I, I was like I can't I can't believe it just it, it's just like everything I want the solitaire to be, is the succubus, <laughs> and, and I'm half tempted to to use a succubus as a solitaire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, she's she's very very good, excellent. Um, so that took us to the final game of the day. Um, you know, not looking too good for the the and Bruise team. Uh, apart from Matt who who got a victory against me. Um, But going into the third game, we played Display of Spiritual Might, the fanciest named uh, mission in the book. Um, I, unfortunately, uh, had the Craig experience as well, Jay, uh, in my last game. I I fought against Craig. Um, You basically covered his army there. He's a really fun player, but he has a very good Drakari list. Um, He's got a
3: lot of experience with that army as well. It's it's the only army Craig plays, so he knows that army inside out. Um.
0: He he got turn one and swiftly just dis- destroyed my Doomsday Arc Uh, swiftly charged into my, you know, I basically in the old term kind of castled up because I knew the Drakari were going to come at me hard. Um, and yeah, it it didn't end well. I mean, I, I don't think I picked very good secondaries. I like UJ picked bring it down, didn't kill a single vehicle. Um, I don't know what his score was at the end. Um, but I scored a, a measly nineteen points overall. Uh, for the entirety of um, my uh, game. So it, it was absolutely brutal, um, but it's still a, a very, very fun game. There's not really a lot else I can say. The, the Necrons didn't really get a chance to do anything uh, of note, really. Uh, you know, Necron Warriors teleported to the back, saw an objective off him. That was about the highlight, I think, uh, for the Necrons in that game. Um, I think that's a combination of, uh, you know, me maybe not being... You know, picking the best secondaries, picking the the most competitive army against, obviously, like you said, Jay, a very fine-tuned army um, in the Drakari. So, no, sadly, I, I we'll 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 stop talking there because it it didn't go well at all. Uh, and instead, we'll uh, we'll switch to you, uh, Andy, and ask how your third and final game went.
2: Well, I uh, in my third game, I played what can only be only to be described as a custodies expert. <laughs> <laughs> so uh me and jay ended up playing in the in the last game didn't we and, yeah uh, i got i got a taste of my own medicine after years <laughs> of um, years
3: of um, ruining
2: dave's uh dave's life yeah. with my
3: custodies uh, i then had the tables turned on me
2: yeah it i mean the, the way we sort of set up um you had sort of your hell blasters on one flank didn't you but then on the other flank, you only had like some intercessors and and stuff like that, and I was terrified of the hellblasters. Like hellblasters, especially when you get that plus one or reroll ones to hit and um, overcharge them, and you know that with all that stuff. yeah, yeah, the two damage they just rinse through custodes. Like when you're putting like twenty wounds on, it doesn't matter if I've got a four plus and vulnerable nope. to save. That's Off. the idea. They've got they've yeah. got everything.
3: they've got rate of fire. High AP, two damage. So, yeah,
2: they're a custodian's worst nightmare, really. Yeah, I mean, thankfully I was able to sort of, like, hide behind... I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad
3: you said hide, because that's exactly what you did. You were very yeah. confident on that right-hand flag. <laughs>
2: Strategically <laughs>
3: hid. <laughs> there was, there was like, 30 custodians piled into, like, a little shed on the right-hand side.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> led by Bruce Banner. It's like Banner. a clown car. Led by uh, Bruce Banner, the indestructible bannerman.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he took on uh, the chaplain. Yeah, I think he got attacked by the dreadnought, or the dreadnought attacked because of wardens. Oh no, sorry, you know. It. So basically, well, let's the, go through turn one. Turn, yeah, one. turn one. So,
3: so, so I, I think I got you got the first turn. You didn't want the first turn because you couldn't come at me because you would have come in range of all my weapons. I had a dreadnought set up centrally, looking right down at a custodian guard squad. You had your Alaris Terminators in deep striking, ready to come down. I knew they were gonna come down. I had an all spec scan ready for them. I was hoping yeah. you would land them next to the Hellbusters. You were very, very smart, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um But in the in the in the first turn, I got I got my psychic powers off uh, so I could re-roll my charges and my advance rolls with my assault intercessors. Um my hellbusters I kept with my Chaplain. I buffed them up, ready to to when you poke your head out, because you had to come onto the objectives at some point. So they were just biding their time. Um Turn your, so, so, so your turn two, again, wasn't very eventful. You did bring down your Alaris Custodian Terminators on the other side of the board and um, almost wiped out the squad I had hanging uh, holding that objective there. So I knew they were coming at me from my left flank. There wasn't much I could do about them apart from trying to delay you as long as possible. So I kept running away from you and hiding out of line of sight just to sort of, you know, I, I, there was nothing I could throw at those Terminators to stop them. But I did think in the middle of the board I had, I had a bit of an advantage. Um, I had my Dreadnought laying down some Covering Fire, and I was able to get a charge-off on your unit of Custodians in the middle of the board with my 10 Assault um, Incessors. Um, but um, what happened to the 10 Assault Incessors, Andy?
2: Well, it's, yeah, um, I mean, it turns out that chain swords aren't really good at cutting through Custodian Armour. Because um, I think you did two wounds to me in total. Yep. And then my custodians attacked back and killed, I think it was about five assault intercessors.
3: I think it was more than five. I don't think I had many yeah. of
2: Yeah. I think you had about three left, didn't you? And then... Um, the captain came in. Yeah, the sure. captain came in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: and then it was basically the rest of the game was... Um. Obviously, I was... I, I, I really, again, this was a theme of my games. I only really had the hellblaster squad left to do any damage with and unfortunately to do any kind of secondaries with as well um and i I basically then was just trying to chip away at your characters and bruce banner he just wouldn't die he would not die at all I, i threw the dreadnought into him who got blown up by the um uh the wardens so the wardens came in chopped legs off of the dreadnought um i had my librarian in there who your shield captain finished off um and then i had my chaplain and that was really it just trying to get bruce bannerman down um and I, I wasn't able to take out any of your characters i think i i did manage to kill the wardens i think with the hellbusters because the hellbusters were on that right flank uh, yeah but at that, that point i wasn't able to contest any object primary objectives i had i didn't have enough units or anything left to do any of the secondary objectives um and the custodians were just really and, and andy chose this moment to remember well <laughs> to, to get out that, that, that his empress chosen shield host trait to give him the four plus. So even the smite I was able to get off he was just shrugging off with his empress aegis. Um so yeah, so it 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 was cool. Um Custodians are really really tough and you 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 were using a lot of the um, it's not transhuman physiologies, it's like gene-wrought might or something like that, isn't it? Um the Custodian equivalent um which only costs 1 CP. Um, to really blunt the attacks of my dreadnought, the attacks of my hellbasters, I uh, used that to great effect. And this was a weird mission, wasn't it? Because it was one of those missions which played around with the CP generation. So for the first two turns, you didn't generate any CP. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: so 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 the fact that you were able to use that stratagem for one CP was really really cool. It's a really, really um, the custodians codex is like. It, it definitely feels like an elite codex because obviously i've not i've uh i've not used the new codex actually so this was the first time seeing the new codex in action um and i think you did a good job of keeping track of the Martial guitars because i mean you talked earlier on matt about bookkeeping of the thousand suns Um, i think custodians there's a lot more at play it's not even as straightforward as the um, necron protocols because at least with the necron protocols once you've set them up you're sort of limited to what you you know you just draw it don't you yeah that's what you the martial guitars you have to sort of look at the state of the board in that turn and figure out what martial guitar would be best to use in that turn but you also have to plan ahead because you can't use that martial guitar again so you have to sort of think a bit further forward think well actually if this does that, that does that. I might be able to better utilize that particular stance in turn four. So I'll hold off now, and then you've got the stratagems that can sort of let you use a, a stance again or two stances at once and things like this. Um, but yeah, I thought you did a really, really good job, Andy, um, controlling them, uh, and you definitely, you definitely outplayed me. Um, you know, I, I tried to spread out the threats in my army, but obviously you'd identified the hellboxes were the biggest threat, so, so you, you you came down that left flank instead. Um and the assault Intercessors just weren't weren't assaulty enough to uh yeah no. uh, no. advance. And yeah, I think I think you did table me again. I think the ultramins got, got, got wiped out to a man in ev- in all three of my games.
2: Ouch. Yeah, it was. I mean, like I said, going back to that sort of bookkeeping stuff. What I what I did before the event was I looked at my martial Katai and wrote down my primary, secondary, and tertiary. And with the actual um piece of paper that I had, I put it as a bookmark next to the page with those rules on. So it's literally just, OK, turn one. I've got this Marshall katao on. Don't want stance one, stance two. OK, I'll go stance two. Done. Nice and simple. And then like stratagems, I just wrote down five or six stratagems, the CP cost and a brief rundown of what they did. Um, and then it was sort of like, um, secondaries as well, because secondaries can take a while to sort of like pick which one you want. I just picked the same three in all three of my games and, and yeah. just learned, I, I just played the game like that, regardless of what my opponent was taking. And, and yeah, I felt it, I mean, obviously, uh, playing custodies, you got a smaller elite army, so that speeds things up but yeah just having that little bit of bookkeeping as well done before the event meant uh, you know i could play a lot quicker
0: yeah cool uh matt how did you get on so
1: my final game was against uh, a friend of the show uh jason who have uh, quite a lot of the unicorn events i've ended up playing in like the last round we must be you know equal skill level or something because we seem to end up fighting him at the end uh he was using his carcaradon's space sharks and uh yeah when we set up we knew this was going to be a quick and bloody game he rapidly advanced towards me i rapidly advanced towards him there's a big clash in the center and there's a lot of stuff dead a load of outrider bikes were down the patriarch was dragged down by them a chaplain died a whole load of assault intercessors died yeah by turn two there wasn't an awful lot left unfortunately that meant all my stuff could pop up turn two and start picking off his other units so really really fun game ended 77 points to me 36 points to jason
0: he's got a really nice army as well hasn't he He's spent oh, a lot of time and effort army. Yeah, he must
1: have taken him hours and hours and hours to do the kind of like tattoo work on the uh the Cocoridons.
0: yeah yeah very very cool uh and that that drew the day to to a close um Matt, I think, well, Matt and Andy actually, um, you you definitely did the the better of the team um, compared to to me and Jay. I mean, where did you finish, guys? So I, so my,
1: my plan with building the list was to to get secondaries, and that paid off really in that a lot of the games that were close, I, I you know, if I'd have done one more secondary in the first game, I would have won it. In the, in this in the third game, even though with both decimated each other's armies, I'd be able to rack up such a lead with my secondaries that there was no way Jace could take it off me. And obviously in the game against you, Dave, I was just all focused on getting as many points as I could. And um, so I finished sixth overall and also got the Cunning Strategist award for most secondary points outside of the top three. So yeah, I was pretty happy with that. I also, cool. myself and Jay both got a uh, best painted nomination as well.
3: Yeah, I scrubbed off all the blood stains off the Ultramarine's armour to, uh, <laughs> to, to go on parade for the first uh, Painted nomination. <laughs>
1: uh,
3: there were some nice armies there, actually. Yeah, the Jukari fellow won it. And it was really cool. I think, actually, Matt, I think you got more secondaries than some people in the top three, um, I think I heard Craig say.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, pretty happy with that. Obviously, I'd, I'd, I'd designed the list for that, so I was quite happy that that actually happened and I didn't end up with, like, you
0: know, three points at the end of it. Very impressive stuff. Um, I came third from bottom, so I, I'm just happy that I didn't I didn't come home with the wooden spoon. Um, neither did you, Jay. Yeah, I think I think on a technicality, I think actually uh,
3: I did come bottom, so so I did did think the wooden spoon was coming my way. Um, but I, I I played a spare player, and I think that influenced the the wooden spoon decision. So I avoided the wooden spoon. Um, so yeah, so you still got your name on it, Dave, and my name's not on there. But I mean, <laughs> I, to fair the ultra I, I don't know if uh i, I probably had the, the 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 worst um level of success out of all the armies there um complete table free free three games in a row
2: um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only way to go is up now jay unless well, you want that it. wooden spoon
3: this is it this is it i mean and i, I mean i it, it didn't i still had a great time playing all three games you know it's it's not it's not um it's not a super competitive environment and um uh, the purple spark unicorns events are, are great fun and, and you know I remember looking back some of, some of the best games I've had against um, um you know not super competitive lists or anything like that I don't think we saw any of that at the uh, at these kind of events so it's all good. No. no. and I, I, the next the next time I'll be there, I'll be there with uh, a Halquins or a Quaffer old Eldar list and um,
0: by all counts they should have a bit more success <laughs> from what I've read so far. Hopefully, hopefully um so we'll be um keeping people posted on our social media the next time one of these events comes up um so if you you are interested in coming on to a purpose pocket unicorn tournament um yeah just keep an eye on social media andy i believe you also have your own social media accounts that people can uh follow
2: yeah so if you look for at ps unicorns on uh, twitter or the, the best place to face is on um best place to find us on facebook um again just type in purple sparkly unicorns and it's full enough for big purple sparkly unicorn so yeah that's probably the best place to find us excellent excellent
0: so i think we all need to take a couple of moments after that uh, meaty section but we do have one very important section coming up next and that's our run through of the aldari codex and that's coming next So long-time Eldar fan, Jay was very excited to get his hands on the latest eldar book. Um, I think this is, is this the first time we've seen a combination Eldar book, or um, am I wrong? No, well, yeah, it's a, to this sort of
3: scale, definitely. But um, I remember back in the day, the Hawkins used to be part of the Craftworld Eldar Codex hmm. um, when that metal box came out with the, the metal sculpts in it. Um, yeah. It would be cool to see the Jukari, Eldari, Inari, and Halquins. maybe the extracts in the future only one book, but I'll probably be about five hundred pages. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, it is it's cool to finally get a ninth edition codex for for the Eldar. And this is a really, really cool um, book for fans of the Eldar. There's tons of stuff packed in here. There was one particular story right at the beginning of the book, um, which I don't recall ever having read before in any of the previous codexes, although I do know the story sort of in general. And it's about the um the war between the Elven gods. Um, and the different mortal heroes, Eldenesh and Ulfanesh and that sort of thing—really, really cool reading through that. Almost like reading through the beginning of the Silmarillion. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it's very really um, cool. So, I mean, the Games Workshop have teased a lot about the Craftworld uh, so keep calling it Craft, Codex Eldari on Warhammer well, in, in the Path of the um, Preview articles that have gone up. So most people by now know that this is a book that contains rules for the Craftworld Eldar, the Yanari, and the Harquins. Uh, and it lets you build armies of pure craft world, pure Harlequins, a combination. It's really, really cool, the different rules it includes to allow you to construct your army in the way you want to, which is great. And I think one of the standout things for this book for me is that as Ninth edition progresses and even into 10th edition, I think you're going to have the tools in this book to adapt your army lists to changes in the meta. So if you're a competitive player and uh, a codex comes out that changes the meta and the way the game's played, You've got enough tools and um, to build uh, uh, lots of uh, varied lists in this book uh, to adapt, I think, which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I spent a little bit of time with it doing doing the video, and there's there's a load of customization options. Like I you say, you basically got three armies in, well, four armies in one if you include the uh, pirate stuff. I'd, my my only wish would be if there was a couple more corsair units because you can technically do a corsair army, but there's really no point. You may as well take a eldari craft world army or inari i really quite like the look of an inari army because they sound really really cool um
3: Um, yeah so the the inari are just are are basically a craft world so like the ulfer and the la talk inari just replaces that craft world faction there's restrictions on some units you can take no phoenix Lords, no avatars of Cain. um you get some restrictions in the psychic powers you can take you can include some Drukari units in that um army though um, you do lose access to Strands of Fate for the Dracari uh, units, but your other units do keep it. Um, but yeah, and then you'd also unlock then the, the Inari characters like the Incarn, and uh, to be fair, both the Avatar of Kane and the Avatar of Enid are very, very cool units in this book. Um, yeah, and of course, it... obviously, you get the plastic kits now with the different helms as well, so you can sort of make it look a bit more Inari. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's, it's a bit of a shame that there's no unique, like, Inari troops choice or something. I mean, do we think maybe they needed that over the Corsairs? I mean, the Corsairs are really, really cool. And the kit makes two different units as well, which is fun. Uh, I don't know. I'd have liked to have seen a Troops choice for the Inari.
0: I don't understand what the plan with the Inari was. Um, they made a big deal out of them, out of um, the, the 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 Storm before. Uh, was it was in 9th edition or 8th edition. And they just seem to have played a bit part since. I just, I just don't understand that. Uh, at all like you Matt. Right, from what i've uh, read of jay's very extensive review which is over on the website i'll make sure i put the link in the podcast notes um, i too like the the sound of the inari i'm a little bit disappointed that you can't take the corsair units uh they're one of the exclusions mm-hmm. um but yeah seems like a a very very cool book have you kind of been list building as you wrote the broke the review no i haven't been list building yet uh, i'm gonna have a play around with that so obviously
3: i'm pacing up my army as a lay talk, so i think i'll carry on just using the lay talk rules but I, i've not had um, a proper look through from an army building point of view yet um it's really really cool you, you like i say you get a lot of options here. and i was a bit skeptical at first when i found out that the Harquins were being folded in that they wouldn't get the attention that they currently get in their exist, in their old codex and the psychic awakening but for any Harquin players out there I think you're going to be really happy with this book. The Hollow queens get just as much attention as the Craftworld Eldar do. They're a fully-fledged faction in here with their own secondary objectives, uh, their own um, relics, warlord traits, psychic powers. They have their own unique army mechanics, so the Craftworld Eldar get their Strands of Fate, which work a bit like miracle dice. Um, and it's a really thematic uh, mechanic, I think, because you roll these dice each turn, uh, and depending on which results you get, you can then substitute them in for... Um, dice rolls in different phases and for different actions so for example a certain dice roll you could substitute for a six in your charge rolls and things like that each turn and you get ways to manipulate them dice and it really sort of evokes the feeling that your farces are looking into the future the different skeins of possibility you look at your dice, you've rolled for your strands of fate. Ah, okay, so the Omens look good that we might make a few charges this turn. So you can sort of adjust your game plan to take advantage of those strands of fate, or you might want to try and manipulate them a bit, a little bit because actually you wanted to do a bit more psychic actions or psychic powers this turn. So we'll try and get some dice that can complement that sort of play style. Really, really cool. And likewise, the Harquins get their mechanic, the look of the Laughing God. So if you're playing a pure Harquins army, um, you get a really, really strong mechanic where basically each turn, depending on the size of the game, you get a number of re rolls which work in the same way as command um, the command re roll stratagem um, and you, you get them refreshed each turn so you're you, re rolling like you know four or five dice a turn um, for free oh, wow. um, and you can push your luck as well so you can roll additional dice to see whether you can get any more re rolls really really cool um, and the hulkins get a bunch of extra rules as well so on the eldar side craft world side you get battle focus and the, the different um, craft world um, attributes and things hulkins get their um, light dark and twilight sort of chapter traits they'd sort of replace the old masks um so yeah they're a fully fledged fully fleshed out faction in with inside this codex which alleviated one of my initial sort of worries about finding out they were both combined likewise they get just as much attention if not more attention in the crusade section which is obviously my favorite part of the book um so on the craft world side you sort of um it's all based around the paths the aspect paths well not the paths of the eldar path of the warrior path of the outcast path of the seer and you sort of your units travel these paths collect extra abilities and upgrades but they can become lost on that path and trapped in that path uh, which really sort of is very thematic again because that's what happens to the elder that's what they're susceptible to um and on the harkin side they get a crusade mechanic all all based around their performances so they're telling these tales to the other you know to, to, to the rest of the eldar race and you you have to rehearse the tales so there's certain requirements you have to meet to rehearse the tale you get some rewards depending on which tale you're trying to rehearse then you, you then you perform the tale over the course of a few games you collect accolade points for achieving certain um, feats and certain requirements and you can cash them in for rewards but what's really cool about that mechanic is that they're not just kill 10 units or you know assault charge 10 units or anything like that they're really really cool one of them in fact has you has you having to go out there and slay a, a, a ekatan shard from the necrons or the nightbringer
1: oh so wow. really
3: yeah and, and obviously the eldar have a lot of really cool history and background where they've been fighting the Necron tier and fighting the old ones and all of that's baked into these Harquin tales really really cool crusade content for the their
1: uh, favorite was the uh the solitaire whose uh soul is forfeit to slanesh and as i said in the, in the in the video as far as i'm concerned is 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 all can be consumed by uh, she who thirsts, but um, it, it's an interesting mechanic where you kind of power up the unit, but every time you do it, there's more likelihood that um, its all just can get completely eviscerated. Yeah, which it, is a plus in my book. <laughs>
3: well, yeah, you are a Slunash fan,
1: but yeah, and that
3: that again, it's just one of the things. This book does a really really cool job of tying into the background and the thing, because I mean, the Eldar, they've they've been part of the Games Workshop sort of 40k lineup. Since the beginning, um, you know, they're they one of the core factions, you know, alongside Space Marines and the Imperial Guard. Um, and they've got a lot of lore and history to t- to play into. And, and this book does a great job, I think, of sort of capturing all of that. So if you're if you're a, if you're a, an Eldar fan, you know, from the sense that you you enjoy the, the stories and, 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 and the look and, and the army, you're going to enjoy this codex, I think. Um, from
1: a competitive side as well. it's It's, it's a very strong army, isn't it?
3: Yeah, well, it has. I mean, we were talking about the secondary objectives. They've got some really good secondary objective choices. Um, Harquins now, I think, especially. They basically are as fast as they ever were. They're much more resilient because they have these baiting defenses now, these minus ones to hit. There's there's traits and things you can take which make them untargetable over a certain range and things like this. Um, and they do a lot more damage when they actually hit combat because of the buffs they've had to their weapons. They've got access to some terrifying stratagems. Um, likewise, on the Craftworld Eldar side, they're much more mobile than they've ever been. The battle focus rule is sort of like the old third edition move, shoot, move type of ability the jetpacks used to have, but for, for everything. Um, um, and on the whole, all of their weaponry has been buffed. So it does more damage than it did before. It has better AP than it did before. In most cases, it, it, it has more reliable damage, uh, additional shots. Even the older weapons, which were always a bit flaky, like the uh, death spinners for the water spiders, which had no AP, and the night spinner with the shadow weaver artillery things, all that's been buffed. And I think they really they are very glass cannon in, in that they do a lot of damage with their weapons, but they've got the tools as well to sort of hang around, so they're quite resilient. Um, mm. Each of the different flavors of Eldor, so the Aspect Warriors have received some really cool buffs in their X-Arc powers and the upgrades you can give to the different Aspect squads. Um, the Wraith units have been buffed with their innate minus one damage. Um, and then the tanks and vehicles as well have been buffed. They've got some access to some amazing upgrades. So Spirit stones, Crystal Targeting Matrix, Vected Engines. These were all upgrades that you sort of, uh, if I've got the points, I might take it, but it, I don't really need to take it. To so now, to me... You know, you always want to take Spirit Stones on your tanks so they count double the number of wounds remaining on the damage table. You always want to be taking the Crystal Target Matrix so you're ignoring any hit modifiers when you're firing your weapons. Um, They've even got abilities to make use of Battle Focus, the tanks have, so you can move them, fire them, then move them back behind cover again. Um, So, yeah, they've definitely received a power boost with this Codex, uh, which is what we tend to see with 9th Edition Codexes as the Edition goes on. Um, But I do think this codex is going to stay relevant for a very long time, purely because you've got that much flexibility. You know, if shooting all of a sudden isn't a great way to play 40k and it's more melee focused, you've got lots of melee units, melee stratagems, melee buffs in here. Likewise, if the tanks get a bit of resurgence and become more popular uh, at at competitive games, you've got access to some great vehicles and um, uh, heavy weapons on those vehicles here as well. Um, yeah. so, well, yeah. all
1: in all, you've got like two hundred pages, so it's a it's a big old book with loads of options. Um I do feel a little bit that like this and the Tau are quite a bit more powerful in the books that came before them. Um obviously we'll have to see how future books play out from that though.
2: I mean Yeah, uh, well I mean
1: we've had Adeptus Mechanicus
3: and Drukhari which were very early books, and they've been top of the pile for a long time now. Um so maybe it's it's about time I think some other codices came in and sort of mixed it up a bit.
2: Yeah, judging by what you've said, Jay, it definitely sounds like VLDA have a lot of options. And and talking about list building, it definitely sounds that you're really going to have to think about your list and really plan it. Because like you said, with all those upgrades that you can put on vehicles, well, all of a sudden, if you put all of them on there, all options, yeah, it's a lot of points, isn't it? So it, it definitely sounds like there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of options in the book. And I think that It's going to be very interesting going forwards, especially like playing like incursion sized games and stuff. You could write probably like 100 different Eldar armies and they're all completely different. Yeah. I mean, it's got the amount of data sheets in
3: here uh, combined with the custom craft world traits and the major craft world traits. Um, there's there's so much variance in the different lists you can build. Wraith um, Heavy, Aspect Heavy, Jet Bike Heavy, Guardians are really good in this book, Rangers are really good in this book, a Ranger Heavy Army, um, and you can adapt that to changes in meta. When the next version of the Nakmund, uh, Nakmund, um Match Play Grand Tournament book comes out, you may be able to adjust your, your list again to deal with that, that kind of play style. Really, really cool. Um, I'll just finish up by saying <laughs> one of the most surprising data sheets in the book isn't actually a unit, it's a piece of
1: terrain. And it's yeah, the website so gate. I I'd, <laughs> I'd clock this and gave it a raid and when 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 it went round to Jay's to to drop off the book from to write the reviewers like, um Wraith Geeks never used to be good, did they? Yeah, should no. I have a look at, have a look at this? And it's it's what, eighty points, Jay? Eighty points, it's an
3: auto take in every Eldar list you write. So you're right, they didn't used to be that great. You used to have to pay a lot of points for them. They used to have a wounds value and a toughness, so they just used to get shot off the board before you could actually make use of it. Um, now, they can't. They set up as a piece of terrain. You can't destroy them. They don't have a profiles, so to speak. Um, but they have some amazing abilities. So, the first thing, which if, if this was all it had, would still be worth taking, in my opinion, is that it, it um, reduces the command point cost to place Eldara units in strategic reserves by half. So, this is something Tau can do as well. I think Tau have got options to put stuff in strategic reserves a bit cheaper or heavily discounted. And now yeah. the Eldar do as well. Um, and to me that's a great ability to have because obviously command points are very valuable resources and you don't really want to be spending a lot of them prior to the game but the ability to be able to put units in reserve and bring them on from board edges further on down really helps when you're trying to get into uh, enemy deployment zones when you're trying to get into different table quarters for retrieving that one data and things well, like you that
1: you see how how well it works with the the court, obviously that's an army ability and they get it for free but giving a a powerful element like the Eldar, the ability to do that albeit at a cost but a smaller cost yeah that's really good
3: so like i say if that's all it had that would be great but it also has another ability so basically you can bring in eldar units from reserve and there's no limit to the kind of Eldar units you can bring in reserve so this is any Eldar unit um so this includes uh your hawkins this includes your wraith knights this would also include any Drukari that would be included in a, um, oh, would it actually? No, not Drukhari, because it is tied to the Eldari keyword. But that's interesting, actually, because I don't know if the Webway gate has a profile in the Drukhari book or not. That would, Mind you, Drukhari are Eldari, aren't they? They're just yeah,
1: not keyword. Well, I Azari. think they'll have the right keyword. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I
3: think Drukhari can benefit from this. And basically what this allows you to do is set that unit up within range of these these the pylons, like the archways for the Webway gate, but there's no restriction on where you can place them in terms of distance from enemy units. You can even place them straight into engagement range with an enemy unit, and they count as having charged that turn. Um, But the enemy has no um, uh, ability to fire overwatch at them, Um, which is just... I mean, these are big scenery pieces. Um, Obviously, you you do have a restriction. You have to set up within a certain range of of both arches, but if you place this over an objective, if you place this right next to an objective... You can basically play a lot of area denial games with this piece of scenery and, and it's a real threat for your opponent because he has no idea what's going to be walking through this webway gate. You know, he may see an objective in the middle of the board that he needs to get to. And a lot of the missions do have that kind of thing where, you know, you get points for standing near the middle of the board and things like that.
1: And really, you do, you don't... I mean, even if even if you don't get to deploy them into combat with that six inches. Being able to deep strike without restrictions is so strong. I mean, we see it again in the Gene Stealers. Dave, yes, you know, yesterday, being able to put my guys just outside of six inches is massive. Mm. Even if you can't get within six inches of that scenery piece, being I don't know four inches away from an enemy unit, being able to shoot and then charge yeah. is crazy good.
3: It's very very cool. So the the Webway gate I think will find its way into pretty much every Elder list. Like I say, eighty points, it's not it's not not expensive at all, and it just gives you so many options. I mean, even if you don't bring anything through it through the course of the game, just the threat of it being there and the potential mm-hmm. to bring something through it can really disrupt your opponent's game plan. Um yeah, I mean obviously they had mountains of these things on the shelves in the warehouse. I uh, needed to There's do something. anymore. Special. I think
1: they've all sold out. Yeah, they like, have. Yeah. My my army that I took at the weekend, generally, I blitz everything up the table at a million miles an hour. I'd think twice about going anywhere near those webway gates because I, uh, my advantage is being able to to hit fast and hard first. That isn't going to happen when some howling banshees or something come tumbling out of this gate near me.
3: So, yeah, so I was really impressed with Webway Gate. So I'm not going to talk much more about the Eldar Codex. Um, like Dave said, we've got a big review of it on the Spruce & Brews website. Matt's done a great video as well where he's gone through page by page uh, the book, and he's talked a lot about all this new stuff, including the Webway Gate and different stratagems and things like that. So you can go and check that out. It's quite a big video, so make sure you get a brew and some snacks to, to watch mm-hmm. it. But it's definitely well worth a uh, uh, watch, and then you can, you can read the further details in the in the written review itself. Um, but, but in yeah the video so, as
1: well we've uh, we've unboxed all of the new plastic kits as well so if you want to see them kind of in the flesh as to be go check that out too
3: yeah and no, i really i can't wait to get started with them Joe, you know the only thing missing from this book i'm just looking through the pages now there's no name generator so i'm gonna to have to think of some clever names <laughs> um i don't think uh farseer dave works for uh an <laughs> well
1: hopefully hopefully so. in the uh the, the next kill team expansion that comes out with the uh the Corsair's in it. Hopefully, we get some kind of old RE generator in there.
0: Mm. Fingers crossed. Uh, I think the most exciting thing for me, Jay, just to, to finish is I know you're really looking forward to this book, and we've been looking forward to doing a crusade. I was really worried the crusade content would be rubbish. So, I'm really glad you, you're enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, we should have some really, really fun crusade games. We mentioned multiple times the video and the review are available on Spruce and Brews. Links will be in the podcast notes, so you can check them out at your leisure now we are getting towards the twilight of the show but we do have our ever popular top three coming up next so we'll be right back so it is time for this week's top three where we're going to be looking at our favorite four models from past and present i mean there's been so many fantastic models on there this is going to be a difficult top three as they normally are um matt Start us with your top three.
1: So in the number three spot, we're going to go in with a big kit, aren't we? I've picked the Reaver Titan. Now, it's not my first Titan, and it's not the biggest Titan, but it's my favourite Titan. um, I've got a a, a Warhound. I've got a Reaver. I've always fancied a Warlord, but it's a bit too big to actually put anywhere. The Reavers, I think, the biggest titan that can easily be like displayed in a house I think Mm -hmm. any bigger than that becomes a bit cumbersome I mean I built and painted this thing over the space of like three months it was a big big project it's got a fully detailed interior that can be all be painted as well it's got like crew that go inside it and you've got loads of like posability options if you've built any of the Adeptus Titanicus uh, Reaver titans the way that the legs and the arms go together it's it's exactly the same on a smaller scale i guess the the forge world contempt is a similar thing where the kits are so well designed and got so many ways of posing it that you'll never look at two reavers and they'll look the same um now obviously it's a big uh you know intimidating kit i guess the key thing is just putting it down to little bite-sized chunks do a lot of dry fitting take the time to clean it and wash it and 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 you know smooth down all the surfaces because you know a a big kit like that you want to kind of give some attention to um mine's painted up in the glorious legion ignartin colors which is surprising because i'm normally the chaos guy but for some reason (laughs) i go with the emperor's personal titan legion (laughs) um yeah one day one day you might get a big brother maybe a warbringer titan um but yeah it's uh it's it's one of my favorite models in my collection so it had to go with number three on the list okay so in second place is another fairly massive model and my it's kind of the inspiration of this list vorgarath and scarlock the school host of corn this model has been on my list many many times and it is a shame to see it go it is a mighty corn dragon I mean, it is a god beast. I think it's the first god beast that we've seen in Age of Sigmar, as far as I'm aware. And uh, yeah, it is a a big old chunk of resin. It was a joy to paint up. Yeah, it's a little bit on the massive side for games, but um, I managed to come third place with it, at throne of skulls, just to the ridiculousness of, more than half of my army being a massive dragon. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really really cool. Even if I don't use it in games, again, it's another nice one to kind of paint up and display as a display piece. But number one on my list, again, the 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 corn the theme runs thick here, and this was really hard. I had lots of honorable mentions on here, like the Death Coral Krieg range. There's oh, yeah. loads of cool Horus Heresy models. Horus the War Master nearly made the list. But I had to give the top spot to the Exalted Bloodthirster. Yeah. It is such a brilliant model. Again, we talked about Cabanda um, a couple of weeks ago. And I suspect that Cabanda going to be a little bit smaller than him. Um, the, the Exalted Bloodthirster is a big old model. Massive wings, a big whip. Again, like we said on the show a few weeks ago, he's probably a little bit on the big side to use in a game arguably in games of 30k where you're on a bigger playing surface then he works a bit better there but if you are a fan of corn you just have to get this model and paint it up because it is incredible it's got so much detail i find it really characterful compared to the plastic ones as well and uh yeah i think it's one of the favorite models that i own
0: i'm, I'm actually surprised matt that the dragon wasn't top of your list Maybe I'm used to it being at the top of most of your uh, your other lists, but um, I, I think that Greater Demon of Corn is a is a very worthy, you know, down to second place. Um, so yeah, it's, the
1: the Corn Dragons had a lot of love on top foods over the years, so I wanted to give the Exalted Bloodthirster a chance. <laughs>
0: i'm gonna move on to to my top three and i mean this was so difficult but i've gone for models that i really really like and i decided for my third choice to go you know you've gone for quite well you've gone for massive models matt i thought i'd scale it down to it to a much smaller model and i don't actually know why i don't own this yet um but i will do it at some stage in the near future i think and that's inquisitor hector rex um who i think is currently the only available inquisitor in um, the kind of antique armour, the kind of antique Terminator armour. He also comes complete with some very characterful uh, acolytes as well. Um, he's quite an old kit now. I think he's been on yeah. for Yeah, years. so he came
1: out with the Siege of Wrax book, so alongside the Death Corps of Krieg, so we know are. they are. They're, they're, they're getting on a bit. So He I mean, still stands up now, though, doesn't it?
0: It does. It absolutely does. Um, I'll definitely need to pick it up at, at some point. Um, my second choice... I'd, I'd love to own one of these. I, I wanted to pick one of the knights because if there's one thing Ford will know how to do, it's really cool robots. Um, I decided that my favourite Imperial Knight was the Acastus Knight and I can't I can't pronounce it. Per- Peripherion. Peripherion. Oh, yeah. perforian I'm and looking at one of those, Dave. I've got one of those on my shelf in titanic scale yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I love everything about this model um it, it's massive um guns on its arms I especially like the missile rack at the back um, yes I think that's very very cool um it doesn't look like it's going to come charging at you but it'll quite happily sit at the back and, and blast you to pieces um the 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 lancer at uh, was quite a close one thing and i was looking at some of the town robots as well but that i think edged it for me don't know if it'll ever go into my collection maybe titanica scale probably not the, the the full uh resin 40k scale one that led me to my top choice and at the very start of the podcast i said for our this week's top three we're going to be looking at the past present and the future in kind of a half-joking manner because my third cho- my top choice sorry isn't even out yet, and Matt's already mentioned it. It's Cabandon. Cabanda, <laughs> oh, he's a, he's a he's a big boy, isn't it? <laughs> he is absolutely incredible, and he, like I say, he's not out yet, so it's kind of cheating. Um, but I absolutely love this model. I almost want to do a corner on me just to get this guy. Um, I I mean he's probably going to be outside of my budget anyway, but he is absolutely incredible. Um, he's got to be out pretty soon as well, I think.
1: Uh, not necessarily soon, but in the next couple of months, maybe. I yeah. I probably will pick this up. Let's face it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he's an absolutely incredible model. Um, Andy, let's hear your top three, please, sir.
2: Um, so my third choice is the sec- the extremely characterful squiggobber.
0: <laughs>
2: so what's better than one squig is one squig shooting multiple squigs <laughs> out of its mouth at a distance so yeah for for me the, the squig gobbler is the epitome of everything that is super cool about gloom spike kits i mean in back in fantasy days we used to have the doom diver which was very sort of Almost cartoony in the sense that it was a catapult that flung a goblin across the battlefield. Whereas now we've got the, the squid gobba spitting squigs across the battlefield, which I've always found very funny and very characterful of the Glute Spike it. I think so it's important,
0: my... isn't it, for like... Um, if you look at Age of Sigma, we've just been talking about big, great, hulking, evil-looking demons, and then you've got a, a massive squig fiery little baby squigs i mean it just brings you back down to earth doesn't it
2: yeah it does i mean it, like i said it's it looks so cool and it's it's one of those that's not too expensive either mm. um which I, I really appeals um my second choice is one that has been a favorite of mine for a very long time and i should have picked it up years ago when it was a little bit cheaper. And that is the greater demon of Nurgle the great unclean one. And when they eventually brought out the plastic great unclean one kit, it definitely feels like that plastic kit has taken a lot of inspiration from that forge or greater demon. Mm. And even whether it's holding it's big sword, you know, it's licking it with its massive tongue. You know, it looks disgusting and that's what Nurgle should look like. And, You know, the fact that it's still got a massive grin on its face as well. It's so nerdy. Mm-hmm. So that's my second choice. My first choice is another model that I would love to pick up at some point. But it's, it, it's just never been high on my buy list. And that's actually a model from Horus Heresy. And it's from my favorite Legion, which are Heretics. If, you know, they can be called heretics. And that is the Primarch, Perturabo.
3: Ooh, Perturabo! He is an awesome model.
2: So not only is he very imposing, you know, I think he's standing on the shoulder of a downed knight, but he also looks like he is commanding the battlefield as well as fighting. And with a lot of the Primarch models, some of them have really good poses some of them i kind of look at and think mm. and and perturabos is bang on perfect the pose is great the color scheme is great i mean it might just be the paint job that forge would have done as well with all the weathering and all that sort of stuff but he looks so cool and like i said iron always have always been one of those legions that i would love to do whether it's 40k whether it's horus heresy whichever it doesn't fuss me I'd love to do Iron Warriors, and obviously you can't have an Iron Warriors army for Horus Heresy without the Primarch. So my number Absolutely. one choice is Berzerker.
3: I like yeah. him as well. I love the uh, Domitar Iron Circle as well, which was like an automata bodyguard with a big
0: slab
1: shield
3: yeah.
2: and everything. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I, the, it was hard not picking a Primarch for uh, for my top three, um, but like I said, there's just so much cool stuff on Forge World. Um, shall we see if there's a Primark <laughs> on Jay's list? I have a feeling there might be, but, but let's let's hear your list, Jay. So number
3: three on my list is a vehicle from Forge World. Um, and to be fair, I mean, like you guys, there's so many cool Forge models I like, so I've, I've had to really struggle to to find three here. But uh, the first one is the Mastodon Heavy Assault Transport. Oh, the Mastodon!
1: <gasps> yes. You've wanted one of these for a long time, Jay, haven't you?
3: I have wanted one of these for a long time. I just look love how bulky and armored it looks with the melter. I don't know what it is like a three barrel melter cannon on the front of it, uh, and the fact that it opens up as well. It's like a like a, almost like a corridor. It rams into to, to fortifications and then all the troops just run through it. Um, the, the double tracks on 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 the on the track. Yeah, I really love this. One day, uh, I mean, it's quite an expensive model, but I think actually you can get some use on it on some bigger games of Horus Heresy uh, across the bigger table. certainly at Warhammer World. It's such a nice centrepiece model. Um, yeah, really cool. I mean, I think it would look good in Imperial Fish Yellow, although there was a really cool story in um, is it Cy- Cygnus? I can't remember what it was now, the Blood Angels novel when they're on Cygnus Prime, uh, where they're all just riding around on it, killing space wolves. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so the Mastin is my first choice um i'm staying in a horus heresy and this is a model which was a bit marmite with a lot of people but i think it's an incredible sculpt it's one of my favorite horus heresy models um and it's Constantine valdor um oh, yeah. who's like the captain general of the custodian guard uh with the apollyon spear and he's holding like this scroll which i imagine is some sort of um a sanction from the from the emperor himself or some orders from the emperor um he, he's a really really imposing model um and i love the armor style um and yeah as soon as i saw it i, I really really liked it and picked this guy up um but i know some people aren't aren't too happy with him um but i guess that that's it, isn't it? everyone's different um and i use him in my games of 40ks and laris uh, shield captain um but i i do really like him i, I really like that model um, the last, uh, model on my list, my number one choice, uh, and there were loads of models to choose here, but I've decided to go for one which I really, 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 really do like, um, and it is the Eldar Lynx, which is, uh, it's a grav tank, and it's sort of halfway between a sort of Falcon chassis grav tank and the larger Scorpion and, um, Cobra, uh, super heavy grav tanks, um, and it's sort of like a, um, uh if you think of it as like an elongated falcon with a a big titan weapon that goes through the middle of it so it's sort of split in two i think it's a really really sleek design very very um smooth and um uh eldar aesthetic to it um it, it looks super fast um very very low profile almost like a stealth tank um and i've always liked this vehicle uh, you can get it, I think, you used to be able to get it with two weapons. I'm not sure if you can only get it with one weapon now. It used to come with the Sonic Lance um, and the um, Pulsar, which are the two weapons that the Revenant Titan can um, go to battle with. <laughs> um, so this is basically carrying Titan weaponry on a sleek grav- grav-tank hull. Um, but I've always liked that tank. That's my number one choice. But, what?
0: But, but where's Sanguinius?
3: No, Sanguinius? Well, this is it. And this is the trouble I had because, I mean, I could give you another... 30 excellent models I love from Forge drill The Tau Supremacy suit, cracky model, love that one. The Eldar Phantom Titan, I mean, every time we go to Warhammer World, I drool at that thing um, before moving on. Uh, Sanguinius, yeah. I mean, Sanguinius was a model that when we saw it revealed on the scenic base, I actually went to eBay to buy that um, as soon as I could, um, because I, I just love that model. But I think, I don't know if it's for you guys as well, and maybe this is the appeal, you know, why Constantin Valdor sort of, I really like that model, is that A lot of these models, I like the background behind them as well. So I'm quite attached. So Sanguinius, I'm quite attached to him as a character. Constantine Valdor, I'm quite attached to him as a character. I guess it's the same for you, Matt, with like Cabanda and things like that. Yeah,
1: exactly. You've you've, 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 you've met these characters through the stories and it's been able to own a physical version of them, isn't it?
3: Yeah, that's it. So and that, that does have some appeal as well.
1: See so yeah. one that the one that that it, it's it's not even got rules anymore, but one that I is on my kind of to buy list, and it, I think it's an amazing model, even though it technically hasn't got rules. Is the Gorgon transport for the Deathcore Krieg? Yeah, mm. I I really want to get one to cut my guys around, even if I use it as the the the, the transport Baneblade variant. I can't remember what it's called. There's there's definitely ways you could use it as something else, but um, I think it, it just looked cool in the cabinet with all
0: my decor yeah it looked very very cool it's such a shame that hasn't got rules anymore yeah but maybe one day you never know might get one in plastic maybe who knows who knows indeed uh shall we find out what the community have chosen for their top three i think we shall so we'll be right back with the final segment of this week's show So the floor is open to the community to give us their top three Forge World models. Matt, what have people sent in? But, well, the community have not dis-
1: disappointed us, especially due to the fact that I definitely hadn't forgotten to put the tweet out and had to frantically message one of you guys to put it up shortly before we started recording. Uh, Yet yeah, you guys have pulled out all the stops. So beyond the pool has Thranduil. On his elk. Is it an elk or is it a moose? Yeah. Some kind of horned creature. Um his number two choice is Rogal Dawn, looking all, awesome as ever. And yeah. number one is Alfarius. Yeah, that is a cool model. Andrew Jameson says uh, Theodore Bruckner on foot and mounted still got the foot model. Uh destined to leave my city's of Sigma Army. You know what? I I very nearly bought the whole um Empire four-year-old range around the time Cities of Sigma was coming out, and I didn't buy it whether it was in Warhammer World, and then when the book finally came out, they pretty much discontinued the entire range. I was gutted. Mm. They had some really cool uh, kits there. Uh, the Chaos Dwarf range, sadly, missed getting these excellent models. Hope to see them in AOS Plastic soon. I think that's a given at some point. And finally, a, a, an interesting one for number three, the Blood Bowl Skaven Booster Pack. Oh. Now Forge would have done a few booster packs that give you a few more positionals and a d- few different scopes, which again is a quite nice idea rather than buying multiples of the plastic box. Yeah. Uh, Anonymous Rex, who who created this section for us this week. Um, number three, the Chaos Renegades Militia Squad Kits. Yeah. love the school helms and teaser malls, Really sold their role as slave drivers and taskmasters they often played in lore. So these models are amazing. I very nearly, multiple times... Did a uh, Renegades and Heretics force. Hmm. I hope that is something that we're able to do in the new Chaos Space Marines book. Yeah. Uh, number two the Mourn Ghoul. Mourn Ghoul sorry. The little detail on the base adds character. So I've got one of these from a Nighthaunt as well and it's kind of like clutching a horse that it's draining the life out of very grim, very terrifying it's an ace model. And finally the XV-107 Ravana battlesuit. This is a tasty model isn't it?
0: It is. This 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 was um this would be in my top ten. Have you got one, Dave? No.
1: No, that's a shame. Um Office Painter has Servitar, Alfarius, and the White Scars Praetor. are oh, you see Night Lords is another heresy force that I'd be tempted to do, and that Servitor model's amazing. Before
3: you said Servitor then, I was like Servitor model, you mean Ah oh, Servitar. The, is he the first captain the, of the Night Of the
1: Night Lords, yeah. yeah.
3: Is really cool model.
1: Uh, Claude Savagely has the Imperial Guard Hydroflak Tank, the Legion Glaive, and the Marauder Destroyer. Yep, yeah, amazing stuff. Dasmol, uh are all where? I think you know where this is going. So, Vorgrath, the Scorpion Grav Tank, and the Kadai Fireborn. Yeah, I think they're all models that you can no longer get. The Scorpion's discontinued now, isn't it?
3: The, four, the Eldar Scorpion?
1: Mm, or is that not? Well, I me, that I'll, up with I'll
3: a check. One? I don't think so. I think you can still get that one.
1: Okay. Uh Leaky Cheese says um there's so many. Uh his picks today are Argol and the Galvor uh the Warlord Titan and the Fellblade. Wild West Wargaming. Uh okay, I think I got this. Vehicles for the Talon, uh the Macarius, Macarius Vulcan. Uh overall the Warhound Titan and for pointy eared fans the Tantalus. The Tantalus is a really, really nice kit. In the case of single minis, the female rogue Doc and Grendel Grendelson for Necromander. And for number three, Legion Lord Eidolon. Eidolon is an amazing model. If I remember rightly he's standing on a ruined contemporary with his always strikes first Thunderhammer Hammer of Doom. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Um, uh, Big Zeon is currently painting up the, I think it's called the Orc Heavy Bomber or the Super Heavy Bomber, the massive Forge World one. It looks so, so cool. Uh, Jack says the Chaos Decimator, the Chaplain Dreadnought and the new Sons of Horus Cataphracti Praetor Darren Winter, the Sons of Horus Terminator Praetor, the Stormbird and the Contemptor Dreadnought. Contemptor's a really good shout for best forge World kit, to be honest. It's so oh, versatile.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's
1: very good. Uh, Curly Joe says, that's a really tough question, but three jump to mind. Number one, the Solar Auxiliar Tactical Command. The best human models, incredibly detailed, have a real strong theme to them. This is another army I'd love to do unfortunately you'd need a mortgage to do them we worked out an army mm. once it was it was terrifying jay wasn't it yeah the, the it cost was of getting them but they are amazing lucky. maybe for a, um i don't know a little kind of armies on parade or a little kind of display they'd be cool to paint up as an army i think you'd need to probably sub in some other models uh number two the ravama battle suit again I mentioned it earlier it's an amazing model and for their number three choice, the Mechanicum Thalax Cohort. Yeah, the Mechanicum World models are absolutely amazing. And again, wow, I love the fanatics the thing I'd love storm. to do. Yeah, this is another con- uh, consideration for Horus Heresy as well. I like all these armies. Uh, James Alone says, long-time listener, first-time caller. Hi, James. Thanks for listening. Uh, the Mechanicum Skrillax Guardian Autonomer Covenant. The whole range really, but these Gribblies, the Sisters of Silence, Caron Patent Acquisitor, my first Forge World kit and I love it. Yeah, I've got two of them. I need some more. They're beautiful. Uh, and number one, the Custodian Venatari Squad, Flying Custard. What else? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, him over there says, "Oh my word, this is tough." Probably number three, the Warhound Titan. It's just immense. The other titans are nice but this is so much dynamism and character. So yeah, again you can build it in such a way that it is like stalking over but keeps its centre balance so it doesn't topple. Really, really well designed kit. Number 2, Horus, the man himself, such an amazing model that really captures the spirit. And number 1, the Marauder bomber, proper old school 412 model. Coveted it for such a long time, I would love one for display. So, yeah, some really, really good picks there. And I kind of want to go to the Forge World
0: website and buy them all now. I'll tell you a kit that uh, came to mind as you're reading those Community Top 3 uh, picks, Matt, which I've always liked and so I'll have to get it for one of my armies. Um, the Leviathan Siege Dreadnought. Yeah. You mentioned a lot of love for the Contemptors, but I absolutely love that beast of a Dreadnought. It's good you can get the Legion-specific
3: ones as well. I've got a Blood Angels one down here, which is really, really cool. Not all the Legions have got them. Um
0: but those that have they're very, very cool, yeah, they have excellent, uh what is next week's top three map? so next week, I want to know your top
1: three Warhammer video games that can be p c console or mobile. There's lots of choices now,
0: excellent. You can get your choices in early via our social media, or I'll wait until the post goes up, asking for next week's top three, which is normally on the Sunday or the Monday before recording. Uh, And that brings quite a chunky podcast uh, to an end. Um, It's been a great show, as always, gents. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, But until next week, have a fantastic week of hobby. And we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Spruise and Bruise podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruiseandbruise.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruce and Brews, or head over to Facebook.com forward slash spruce and brews.